Welcome to Anything Goes, the best geek and pop culture show broadcast from Long Island, New York. I'm your host, Timothy Rooney, and we're back with a brand new episode. And since it's the month of October, we're going to be talking about scary movies because it's October, horror movies. That's the kind of vibe I like to live my life by. But if I'm being honest, uh, horror movies is kind of a 24-7 thing for me. I can do that in any month of the year. But since it's October, I think we make it a little special and... With the pair of episodes that I'm doing with my co-host here, we're going to be talking about anniversaries of some landmark horror movies. Now, if you listen to the show, you'll probably recognize his voice when we're talking about either Halloween or Scream. Mr. Mike Wilson, how are you doing, Mike? Start the reactor. <laughs> you recognize my voice now, Quaid? <laughs> Hi, folks. <laughs> we're back. Quaid. Quaid. Start, start the, the reactor. reactor. That's how I sound at the most workouts when I really push him. It's like, uh, That's how like, I sound when I wake up. <laughs> That's what I'm telling my body to do. Start the reactor so it can get out of bed in the morning <laughs> and actually do something. Uh, how have you been, sir? Um, fairly decent. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. That's well good. enough. Yeah. And as you can tell from the title, we're talking about something very special. We're going to be talking about Nightmare on Elm Street because it's 35 years old this year. We can't believe that. Well, as you can also tell by the title, this is not Scream the TV series. No. Um, I guess we'll, I guess we'll uh, have a little confession here. When I asked, suggested to Tim, let's do the Halloween series because it's something we really love because I always loved how you, Nikki, and Dakota did podcast or whatever. I, I, I'm, I'm thrilled people have loved it. I'm yeah. thrilled it's awesome. I mean, even like, oh, I, I'm going to you know those books, the um, paperbacks of Halloween stories, like about one was like in an attic, one was in a oh, high Oh, yeah, school? the the the, uh, the the young adult novels, the three young adult novels. Yes. That cost um, way too much. Somebody found them in the thrift store for like three bucks. Are you fucking kidding me? And I, I was tagged in it because like, hey, look what I found in the thrift store. And my buddy guy tagged me like, Rooney, um, guess what happened? And yeah, he found them for $3 and now they, they go for about 150 bucks on eBay. Was it a thrift store on Long Island? No. Okay. So I was gonna. I, I, I was about to throw way. my headphones down and just start swearing. No, violently. but like he hadn't heard of the podcast or anything, so I ended up uh, tagging him with the page where we have all the links to all of our shows. So I think he's gonna be checking out soon. Motherfucker, can we borrow them just to review them? I, I, I mean, like if anything, like if, once he's done with them, I will message him like, "Hey, I know it's a big uh, favor, but can you like mail them to us so we could read them and we will mail them back in pristine condition? Wow. We promise." Yeah. Three fucking dollars. Wow. All right. I never go thrifting anymore, but I, I, I know where to look. For, I know where to look. I was jogging past the garage sale and I saw like a stack of books and everything. And I, and I was almost tempted in the back of my mind, like just to go through it, just to see if I still see them on Amazon for like $2,000 sometimes. Oh, yeah. For one book. Mm hmm. Fuck e- me in the ass. eBay, I saw it for like about 148 pounds, so double that because I think it's the conversion you, to. You know what the worst part is? I found a few that were like $100, $150 and I almost did it. Really? Yeah. Was this when you were in Dire Straits? Yes, when I was still in Dire Straits. Okay. Be- before I, before I became independently wealthy. Yes. <laughs> uh, independently wealthy for a millennial. Let's be honest here. Yeah, pretty much. Um, but, but you were saying before, as I was saying, I'm thrilled that everyone that has listened to it has loved it. Uh, I was hoping more people would, but whatever. The people that like it love it. Mm-hmm. So don't play for the people who are not there. Play for yes. the people who are there. Well, I was hoping we could attract the people that. Of course. There. But maybe, who knows, maybe, maybe mm-hmm. one day. We, I always envisioned them as being something that you could listen to at any given moment in history. Right. I know whenever we talked about something that was period-specific, we addressed it as such, like at the time of this recording, we always do that. Right, And because like, sometimes I'll, we'll go back to listen to segments of it, and of like whether it be the Halloween or Scream series, and other than maybe like a few jokes that are timely, uh, most, of, most of the stuff is like 
You can yeah. listen to them any time. That's that's my goal. And when we completed that, people were loving it and asking us, well, what series are we going to do next? And I'm like, what series are we going to do? We got to do a series next? Because Halloween, I could definitely say, we have many things in common. Halloween mm-hmm. is the one thing I feel that we both have in common that we love to such an equal high degree. Yes. You know? So it was, I felt it was tough, you know, and, and I went along with Scream because that was like the safe bet. I'm glad we did the Scream series. I know, I know, I feel like it wasn't as good as the Halloween one that we did, but I think that might just be because there's more to Halloween than there is to Scream. Longer history, more. More movies. More movies, more outside media stuff, but I'm pleased with what we had. But when we, it came to the TV series, the one thing I feared that was going to happen if we keep doing series after series happened. We're going to get to the one part that. Neither we either despise, part. have no interest, don't care. Like, Halloween Resurrection, we both fucking despise, but at least we could say bad things about it to entertain you. Yeah. Uh, Scream the TV series, it's like, I am interested, but it is, like, lowest priority because we're covering a TV series. How the hell do you cover it in a timely podcast fashion? Yeah. Because we like doing our plot synopses and discussing it in detail well, I, and everything. I would assume we have to do it season by season, and we just have to like do yeah. like, brief synopsis of each episode, give our thoughts, and then by the end of it, give thoughts about the characters and overall. So it would be a three-hour show, because most of the stuff I've done on TV series covering an entire season, that's the average length. Yeah, but the point is, you know, we hit, we hit the point I was hoping not to. So the idea kind of came, it's like, we got a good flow going. I think we got a good chemistry on this. People yeah. seem to dig what we do. You mm-hmm. send me screen caps all the times and nice things people say. Right. So why don't we just go back to doing what we did before, where we just find a topic we really like, like a movie, a game, a this, a that. Yeah. Just fucking talk about it. Mm-hmm. So we sat last week and came up with, what, what like, like 30 topics or something two like Two years worth of material if yeah. we go on a monthly basis. So mm-hmm. we're going we're gonna to attempt that. We're going to do... Just just keep going with just monthly whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And if ever you got something to do with another guest, whatever, you do something with another guest, yeah. but I'll always be back mm-hmm. unless I'm dead, which that's always a likely scenario. Right, but like in the times that you are here amongst the and, living, and alive, yes. Yeah, I think that's why we should concentrate on doing as much as we can. And I did post like a photo. I took a screenshot. Oh, I took a photo of the header of the little uh, paper. I did that see we, that. And um, I posted in like the movie group that I'm a part of, the Real Fans for Real Movies Facebook group. And the topic was the Ninja Turtles 90s movie. And like that, the first comment is like, I'm already in for the top idea right there. And so at least we know we have some interest for yeah. at least the brainstorming we have done. We're going to try and do these at least on a monthly basis. You know, we may miss one here and there just because <laughs> life gets in the way, whatever. You may have other bigger fish to fry. I My job now has no shortage of overtime. I think I worked like 12 hours of overtime this week. So yeah. shit happens, but we're going to aim for something monthly. A topic, a movie, popular, mm-hmm. maybe two movies in a row, right? Because we do have plans for stuff. And I found, I just, we kind of discovered last week talking about this stuff that we're gonna cover a lot of shit over the next two years. That is anniversary, major anniversaries. Yeah, <laughs> like it was oddly specific that way. It yes. was not intentionally to be done like no, that. Not at all. Like, like twenty fifth, thirty fifth, fifteenth. Like, what the fuck? How do we figure this out? It was just, I guess, pure coincidence at that point. I guess so. But Nightmare on Elm Street, 35th, along yeah. with me. This year is my 35th anniversary yes. of existence. 
I know, and it's quite amazing. Like and unlike that. the Nightmare on Elm Street series, it's been very uh, – <laughs> we've had more downs than ups. <laughs> it's been a very rough ride. And, but I would say I think my 35 years are scarier than Nightmare on Elm Street. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, depending on the, some of the, your nightmares, yeah. Oh, yeah, where I actually die in my nightmares. I mean – But I, then I do wake up in real life. But I did – like I told you about the stress uh, nightmares I had recently. Yeah, you just had some zingers recently. Yeah, and I, I was telling a friend of mine, and she's like, you know, like I think you should start like smoking weed to like, like deal with your anxiety and i'm like well if i'm going to i would probably do it with you because i feel i trust you to do that but before i did i think i'll start with cbd before i roll right into that uh, if i end up going down that road but but uh, speaking of nightmares specifically like the title says we're going to talk about nightmare on elm street so let's jump into our review of it right now <laughs> Okay. Now, for those who might be new to the show, we kind of start every podcast when we're talking about a movie as our personal histories with the movie itself. So, Mike, you're the guest. I'll have you go first. Uh, when did you first experience the Nightmare on Elm Street series and then specifically this movie? Well, like everything in, in pop culture, you hear about it first from somebody. Mm -hmm. I remember I, probably the first times I heard about it was my old summer camp because uh, we always talk about like Jason coming to get you. I'm like, who the fuck is Jason? Right. Oh, he wears a hockey mask. Okay. Then, oh, no. I, I know some people would always cross Freddy and Jason because, you know, this was like a couple of years after the slasher craze. It definitely burned out and died. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's so easy to, for some people that don't watch these movies to just mix and match everything. So I hear the name Freddy. Okay. Freddy, what, what does he do? Oh, he kills you when you sleep. Oh, okay. I mean, I think even my dad just said, like, which one's the guy with the hockey mask? And I'm like, that's Jason. He's like, yeah, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're. They have a cultural penetration, but not to a – to some people, not to a – Your average man on the street at least knows of them as someone evil and scary. Yeah. And in the scary movies. Right. But, I mean, hell, I mean, is, is speaking of like man on the street kind of stuff and like things that you think would be common knowledge is not really – I remember a Jay Leno segment when he's talking about – uh, who lives? Who lives at like a uh, sixteen hundred Pennsylvania Avenue? And woman's like, I don't know. He's like, Who, who lives in the uh, pine number under the sea? SpongeBob. So, mm. go figure that. Yeah. But when it came to actually finally seeing these movies and and experiencing them, I, I would say that came in my teens. After obviously after Halloween, right? Saw the slasher craze. Was obsessed with horror movies. But I do remember. And Blockbuster Video has a little too. When I would browse the horror section while my mother would check out mm -hmm. whatever we were renting, I'd see the Freddy movies, and they look—they always look kind of like weird because I see one. It's like, oh, the Dream Child. Like, what? What the fuck? Like, and then, what's a Dream Child? Yeah, Dream Warriors, Dream Child. And, 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 there was there was a, a a degree of hokey to me that I that I kind of thought of when I schlocky, <laughs> schlocky, hokey, silly, mm -hmm. goofball. Which the Nightmare on Elm Street series certainly certainly would become synonymous with. But yeah. When it came to actually watching it, though, I had heard that it was, like, more scarier than anything else. Because I know uh, my uncle, my, my crazy redneck gun-toting uncle, mm -hmm. 
who's like not scared of anything. He told me that once that Nightmare on Elm Street was the only horror movie that ever scared the shit out of him because mm. it's someone that could attack you in your dreams. You're helpless in your dreams because the way he is, oh, killer comes up to me, I'm a student. I'm a student with my guns. Right. You know? I, th- I was going to make that joke, but you beat me to it. Okay. Like, you I, I shot it down. Where the pun warrior. Don't want to listen at all. <laughs> After my nightmares of last weekend, I did end up uh, blasting some Dream Wars during the week to kind okay, of deal you. with that. <laughs> I, I, I always wanted to text you, but I'm like, no, because I don't want to damage our friendship because I feel like you would just hear my voice screeching that and that would drive you to, I don't know. Aside from when you just do it in front of me. You know? <laughs> I make a promise I'll try not to do it on this show. You heard it here, folks, the sound of a broken promise. <laughs> but anywho, I, I, I kind of shied away from it for a little while because it was a little more on the supernatural end. But, I mean, you know, Jason is on the supernatural end. Michael Myers went on the supernatural end. But this was, like, strictly grounded in supernatural. So I can't remember when it was I actually watched it. I don't remember if we rented it. I don't remember if I saw it on TV. But I remember getting around to watching it. And all things considered, I liked it. Mm-hmm. I... To this day, do you feel that the acting is very hammy? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, this was a lot of people's, you know, first movies. First movies. This was, you know, your low budget affair. I mean, it was. It, it, it turns out it was the movie that made put New Line Cinema on the map. Yes. And the fact it was done in such a low budget, I think that's the level of talent. Not saying that the talent is bad in any way, but it, it definitely seems like you you watch some of the actors in these roles in, in this movie specifically, then you see them on later on in their career. It, it's just like... Night and day. It, yeah, yeah, it's like any skill set. Like, if you just keep working at it, you will progressively mm-hmm. get better at it. And so, uh, if if we make kind of side comments about acting in this movie, I think it's like... It's, it's out, out of love. It's out of love. It's not out of malice. No. But I was always impressed with, you know, the visual effects, which was fucking huge for this. The way And years later, when watching... Um, documentaries like never sleep again you see how it was really done just how great practical effects can still be yeah and i i i almost i kind of look at like when i see like the ending credits of like a superhero movie how it goes on well i guess the like visual effects people how it goes on longer it's like it's like the fucking vietnam memorial when you see those names going down i think to myself is does it is it really cost effective to do all this instead of just build something well how many, how many buildings can we throw people through to, uh, how many buildings? No, but I mean, like, CGI for fucking everything. Oh, no, yeah. Like, that's why, like, I, I, you look at the past two Avengers movies, I'm like, there is nothing real on this screen right now. This is just pure CGI. There's no practical things right now. It is a computer-generated movie, mm-hmm. characters, background, yada, yada, yada. And uh, you do wonder, like... Or combine the two. Yes. Have your backgrounds be, you know, fucking matte paintings that you that you kind of animate here and there. Oh, I mean, that's what you look at Mad Max Fury Road. Like, a lot of the CG is the backgrounds. Like, I'm putting yeah. the mountains in the background, and a lot of it is just the empty desert of Africa where they shot it. And so, and it's, I guess, like, the adage is for effects, like, is the best effects are the ones you don't notice. Yes. And... Even if it's like a like even if it's a big creature effect, you know it's an effect, but like you believe that, and and you think of uh, specifically like American Werewolf in London, the transformation scene. Sure, you know that's an effect, but like it is done in camera, and it's done there. There's a tactile feel to it. Now I we do realize we do sound like a bunch of people. It's just like it was 
better back. In my day. Exactly. And I don't want to sound like that because there are some amazing things that couldn't have been done without CGI. However, it just says. Redbox, that's what I called my wife when she was chafing. Oh! So. I called my wife every 28 days. (laughs) Oh, Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, ladies. Yeah. That was inappropriate. Yes. Um. And so I, I just feel like there's, there is a balance to be had uh, uh, and uh, of practical and digital effects. And I think it's the benefit of the low-budget nature of a Nightmare on Elm Street is because they couldn't afford to do visual effects for the most part. I think there's like one optical effect in this movie that kind of holds up, and the rest of it is, is stuff done in camera. Um, well, which is the one? When he pops out behind a tree. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The yeah. possible pop out. Okay. I think other than that, I think everything else is done in camera. Yes. I, I, mean, I love how, like, like, they built fucking rooms and turned them upside down. And yeah. Put the camera right side up so it looks like things are happening upside down. Like, right. It's pretty cool and it's very effective. Mm-hmm. And I know it fucking freaked the actors out that were in the room there. Yeah. <laughs> but still, it's believable. Mm-hmm. Like, I was always impressed by that. And I was telling you earlier while we were watching it before. Excuse me, yeah, I'm a little gassy. We had too much Dairy Queen for dinner. Right. I had too much Dairy Queen for dinner. Yeah. Like I always do. But mm-hmm. I remember watching this on TV with an old friend like 15 years ago, mm-hmm. and it was the open mat 4x3. Yes. So that they didn't have to, uh, to like, they didn't have to take a widescreen, which had the, the mat bars, and then crop it. They mm-hmm. just did open mat, and boom, you have 4x3. I used to think that, like, all these flubs were, like, intentional. Okay. Because in the beginning, like, because the the open mat, when, when uh, Tina's walking around looking for Freddy Krueger and he pops out behind her, in the open mat version where there's no uh, letterboxing, you could see Robert England crawling around behind her, getting into position. Mm-hmm. Later on, when Nancy knocks him off the, the over the stairs and he lands on the staircase, you could see a mattress laying on the staircase. Yeah. That was, you know, below, beneath to the cushion letterboxing. The, the fall. Well, yeah, but in, in frame, it was covered by the letterboxing and they cut before the camera panned down that far, mm-hmm. you know? So it, it, it was interesting. I just thought, oh, this is just so low budget and shitty. But apparently, that they actually did a good job of hiding that stuff. So good for you. I, I mean, I know, like, it's no, it, it's very much Pee Wee pulling the never ending chains with the bottom of his bicycle. Yeah, my bike. Paging <laughs> 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 um, Mr. Herman, Mr. Herman, Mr. Herman. There's a message at the front desk. <laughs> I'm a rebel, daddy. <laughs> Um, hey, there you are, buy. <laughs> <laughs> I think Kubrick in the later half of his career shot open mad so he can manipulate it any way he wanted it in post and I think Spielberg did the same thing for Schindler's List because he was obviously aware for the theatrical distribution but there's also the time of video was still a prominent uh, export of it so like it's going to be in 4 by 3 so it will just kind of frame it for like that or even go back to shit you can go back to uh, I think the- Halloween H2O was shot open mad Really, and it, it just took yeah, an extraction because, because for the, the, the Echo Bridge uh, release of it, the the wonderful Echo Bridge. Mm-hmm. That it, I swear to you, the Echo Bridge version is so good that the the condensation of my beverage never gets on my table because of it. <laughs> that's how that's how good it is. <laughs> but yeah, that was open mat. Right. It's supposed to be in two three five. I, I mean, I I kind of get that. I was literally just having this. Use it as a coaster. Yes, I was used. Uh, I had this conversation. Uh, but it last... belongs in the toaster. <laughs> last episode, it belongs in a museum. Belongs in a museum. No. <laughs> um. Uh. Since I belongs in a landfill. <laughs> I uh, most of my videos that I export in the short I film. Slit side... my enemy's throat with that disc. <laughs> <I'm not laughs> <worthy of this. laughs> 
you fire him like your Azrael Batman. Like I've, that's. <laughs> I fire it like that little Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles pizza launcher I had when I was a kid. Oh my god! It was so cool. It had like this little spinning rubber wheel, and, and then you have you put the little stacks of pizzas in there, and you have the little arm. Yeah. You press the button, the arm goes in, the pizza falls down, and shoots out. I think I still have that. I don't think it works though. Oh, okay. Um, like it had a warning printed on it: "Do not point at humans or animals." Yeah, I, they, those things shot out pretty fast. I was gonna say, like, how many eyes probably get put out because of that? The number, I mean, I, black eyes, of course. Um, yeah, I was having a conversation last episode where I was saying, like, a lot of my short films and videos that I export, I usually do them in the CinemaScope format of two, three, five to one, and how I do that is like I, I'll send, I'll set the timeline to be like. 1920 by 817, so that's the mathematical of 2351. I have that as the project timeline. I export it like that. And so it automatically puts the black bars on top and bottom. However, I shoot in 16 by 9 so I can reposition it post. Mm -hmm. I can, I can make adjustments as I go. And, but even though I love true widescreen shooting with anamorphic lenses, like the idea of that, but because of the, the effects it has, like the, the, how, the how it goes out of focus in a certain way and like the vertical um, flares and everything and but like that would be pretty cool but then I'd be married to that image I like so I, I I'm toil on torn between like what I want to shoot true anamorphic it's, it's also practicality for your budget and oh yeah I I mean like so I think I, I I think it's beneficial to shoot in an open mat like that and just be able to do what you want with it and it's it's just curious how this movie did that same thing and but I guess we're Unaware of the effects of the open map broadcast of it that you noticed. Yeah. And I mean, that happens at times. I, I know uh, I've seen reviews of, of DVDs of like Death Wish 3, where like they're standing in a room <laughs> and there's so much headroom between them and the ceiling because it's probably shot open mat. Oh, God. Oh, man. Death Wish 3. Is that when he like obliterates uh, 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 an entire neighborhood of gangsters? Yes. With a, like a uh, walking around with a, like a thirty cal machine gun a, and ammo, a Gatling gun, yeah. <sighs> I'm just so glad that like the mustache I can grow does not look like Charles Bronson's mustache. <laughs> Charles Bronson here, and well, I remember I remember on The Simpsons when they had uh, they're watching the Andy Griffith show with special guest Charles Bronson. <laughs> Whoa, what happened to that guy? I shot him. What? <laughs> Uh, and Hank Azaria is pretty much doing a Bronson impression of like yeah. so many different ancillary characters in the show. <laughs> I think, I think the main street, uh, uh manholes or potholes need to be dealt with. Whoa, as the car was slipping, but yeah, no, they, they, they decided to buy a monorail instead. What was it? Was it the one with, uh, uh, Jay Sherman where they did Death Wish 4 and it's, it's him just laying in a hospital bed. I wish I was dead. <laughs> um, so. Anyway, my, Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street. Anything goes the podcast. Yeah, I mean, if, if a show does not have tangents, is it really a podcast? It's not one of ours. No, that's, <laughs> oh, that's a dang sure. So. My history with it is, like, I was terrified from the outset of this, even before I saw the movie, because I had seen the covers when I was a young child in the video store, much like yourself, and I remember I took one of the video cassettes off, and it was the first one, I turned it over, and it's a publicity still of, like, the opening of the movie when Freddy's chasing Tina through the boiler room, and he's cut one of the sheets open, he's poking his head through, he's not looking at the camera, he's looking to the side, and I'm like, that just freaked me out. And I remember this kid, Tom, who used to live around here um, before he moved away, before elementary school ended. And he was telling me the stories of all these crazy things that happened in Nightmare on Elm Street 
uh, movies. All these things he spoke about were true, but they were in several different movies. He made it sound like it all happened in one movie where like, um, like the, the famous, like, like the, um, the rhyming song, the little nursery rhyme, where it's like one, two, Freddy's coming for you. And at the end, it was like nine, ten, and like Freddy's glove pops out of the fake uh, <laughs> uh, house. Is like never sleep again, or Freddy's back again. Um, I think that's a Nightmare Three at the end of Nightmare Three. It might have happened in the credits, or one one of the Nightmare movies that happens. And he made it sound like that was in the first movie, and how he mistaken um, when Freddy impersonates Tina for a moment when he pokes his head through the door window. He made it sound like there was like an, another neighborhood kid, and he ripped off that kid's face. And it probably wasn't until like maybe I was eleven or twelve I saw it on TV. Might have been Spike TV or AMC doing like horror marathons, and it it did scare me. I don't think I had any specific nightmares about it, but despite being scared, I was entertained by it. So I decided to seek them out, and I believe that was like a a library rental kind of system. I rent one one week another another week and just keep and I just went through the entire series and I did realize even younger like this is getting a little silly this yeah, is getting I, very silly I would even back in the day see like some of the sequels on like uh, Stars or Encore or whatever I'd sit and I'd watch them and I'm like this is fucking some goofball bullshit right here I mean by the time you get to six and he's impersonating the Wicked Witch the West oh and he's using the power glove to yeah. kill the guy in the Totally not a Nintendo game. The the, the fucking Nick, the set of Nick Arcade. Yeah. I'll get you, my pretty. A little soul, too. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah, things went downhill pretty quick. <laughs> and then it turns 3D for the last, like, eight minutes of the movie. Yeah. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. So, um, and I know, I know is already asked because I posted this online saying we, I was watching it for the podcast. And, like, the first comment was... So you, you're going to do the whole series? And I'm like, we're just going to do the first one. We may do the series another day. Like, we don't know, but it might be a while if we ever decide to do that. So we're just talking about the first one. I can't remember anything from part five, truthfully. That's how underwhelming it is to me. Uh, I know the kid in that is the kid who uh, Sam Neill scares the shit out of in Jurassic Park talking yeah. about Velociraptors. Part five, it's like, is so forgettable to me. I have mostly forgotten it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I like the idea of part five where he's using the baby's dreams to affect them. That's cool. I know. It's, it's, a, it's a reach for me. I know the director who go on to do such classics like Predator 2. Oh. And um, the... Predator 2. <laughs> um, the... Danny Predator 2, Danny Glover's too old for this shit. <laughs> um, and the Friends uh, action adventure Lost in Space. Uh, okay. <laughs> because, and of course, the Lost in Space VFX all hold up super well today. Mm. Danger. <laughs> Danger. <laughs> Don't know this person. Danger. <laughs> And so... Wouldn't know this person if he delivered me a fucking pizza. <laughs> and so how this movie came about is really interesting because Wes Craven was reading articles in, uh, I believe, the LA Times about these, I believe... Uh, Southeast Asian refugees. Who yes. Fleeing to the United States because of war and genocide in Cambodia. Right. And they had disturbing nightmares, nightmares so badly they refused to sleep. And some of them died in their sleep. The uh, The phenomenon was called Asian death syndrome. 
Yeah, that that's. I think it's been amended that uh, term since then. Well, originally. Okay. Yeah. I'm sorry if I offended anyone. No, no, Again, no. I just want to put context out there. As usual, it, it was just the first time that this thing was kind of reported, so I think that's why the moniker came about. Yeah, but that shit. He, he, you know, he. It stuck with him because even, even the the, you know, the paper never correlated a lot of this, and and they said, hey, we we never had a story like this, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that that stuck with him for a while. Yeah, and, and he heard the reports because it, it went on for a while. It wasn't just one person died. No, it was it several was, people. It was, it was people over the course refugees. of months. Yeah, mostly refugees. Mostly refugees. And as I did, I can imagine so because I actually, when I was in college, I went to a, I forget the gentleman's name, who came to my college to speak about the the Cambodian genocide. And like how living the life, and how he fled that country to America, and how he's created a new life here. But he's doing his damnedest to help the efforts that happened there, and trying to rebuild the families that were torn apart because of that stuff. Um, so I, I can like just I can understand like I can't understand completely. Like oh, I know exactly how you feel. I can, I, can, I, can just, I, can, I know how you feel. <laughs> no, I can sympathize how it must have felt. Yeah. But and. He also correlated that idea, or he combined the idea with this memory he had of, as a child about this person who walked around his neighborhood. I think it was also named, I don't know, he was named Fred Krueger or is his last name? No, he had, a, he had a bully named Fred Krueger. A bully was named Fred Krueger. This Kruger. was some elderly man who just walked around the sidewalk of his house outside the window of his home, and he, like, stopped and partially glanced at, you know, West Craven, who's staring at the window over the second floor of his and, house. And walked off, yeah. And and he, you know, created him based on his character, had the name Fred Krueger from someone who bullied him. And he intended to have him as a child molester, but... There was a yeah. huge child molestation scandal in elementary schools at the time, right before production began. Yeah. So... It, 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 it was Steve. He, he wanted to be like the, the boogeyman, the boogeyman yeah. of, of, of small children, you know, the worst thing. He's, he's, he stands for the worst of parenthood and adulthood, you know, the dirty old man, nasty father, and adult who wants children to die. And I know in the remake, they went back to the original idea of the fact that he was a child molester and not a child murderer. Mm-hmm. Um, which I know in the remake, they kind of toyed with the idea that maybe he wasn't a molester. Like that, that was like the mystery of it. Like maybe he was wrongly accused, and that's what was the cause of his revenge. Well, I find it ambiguous in this one too, because it's like, yeah, hate children, you kill them, but you kidnap them, and it almost puts that like thing in your mind. That's almost like the first thing that you go to when you think of a kidnapped child is someone's fucking molesting them. You yeah, know, I hate to say it. That's just the- molest them, then kill them. It's it's. The fucking sick thing that happens, but that's almost like the first thing that pops into someone's head when a child gets kidnapped. Yeah. I mean, maybe it, when you hear, unless you hear specific details like, oh, the father kidnapped his daughter because of, of parental rights, and right. okay, something different. But if you just hear a child kidnapped by man, the first thing that I guarantee you automatically goes into many people's minds is molestation. Yeah, that's probably the first one, and the second one's probably ransom. That's the so, second one behind it. They, so I think without saying he's a child molester, I think that helps put that subliminal idea in your head better. Right. It's sort of a gap you fill in yourself because, well, like I said, when you think child kidnapper and murderer, you, you make that connection as well because, unfortunately, that's kind of what happens. Yeah. And it's kind of like how in the original Night of the Living Dead where it's obviously a lot of the conflict amongst the people is race relations, but there's never an utterance of it. There's never a kind of explicit 
um, mention of that. It's all the subliminal text of that movie that kind of adds to the tension of, of that piece, much like how it is here. And it, it is just curious because of how he also came up with a design of Fred Krueger because of the red and green striped uh, sweater and the fact that it was like it's the two colors that the eyes have a hardest time um, accepting. It's, it's really hard on the eyes to kind of stare at Christmas the pattern. colors. Christmas colors. But it's a hard pattern to stare at for that long because they are literally, if you look at a color wheel, they are literally the opposites of each other. Mm-hmm. Much like how you see like the teal and orange look on movie posters and movies themselves is because they are, they are the opposites of each other on the color wheel as well. And they represent warm and cold. Yes. Teal and orange. Right. And this, and and these represent Merry and Christmas, which is just or like, Happy and Holidays. I'm sorry, I, I said it 32 words. Merry Christmas. Yes, and, and, and I guess it's a weird way of perverting Christmas. I, I, I'm surprised there was never a Nightmare on Elm Street uh, set on Christmas. I mean, just because of the colors and everything. I'm sure there's. There, oh, I, I'm glad there never was. Are you fucking kidding me? They would have had like Freddy, you know, dressed up in a Santa outfit and everything. I wonder if those episodes of Freddy's Nightmares, the TV series. I'm sure there probably was. If listeners, if you know, please chime in. Um, yeah, I didn't watch Freddy's Nightmares. No, I didn't either. I mean, I I, I watched the Friday the Thirteenth TV series before I watched Freddy's Nightmares, and I only watched like two episodes of that. But bought uh yeah bought bought uh, i bought uh yeah my my uh real new york accent really uh chimed in there um but his design for freddy like he definitely wanted a, a, a killer to have to wear a mask sort of sort of in, in a way of speaking but he wanted to be able to talk and taunt so craven thought about him you know being burned and he also got the idea of giving him something other than a knife because by then you had you know michael myers you had jason you, you have you know, all these movie slasher movies where someone's using a knife. It, mm-hmm. It's overplayed. So, you know, he thought, how about like a glove with steak knives? And he gave the, the idea to their effects guy. And he made, uh, what, like two models mm-hmm. of it. One for anything that needed to be cut. And then a stunt glove, which was more dulled. Yeah. So no one gets hurt. And He was considering a sickle, though. I could see that. Uh, because he's kind of like a Grim Reaper type. I could... I could see it in the character, but once you see the character in action, that's where it loses it because he's very fat. That's another thing where he deviates from many slasher characters is he will run after you. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't see him running with his big cumbersome fucking scythe. No, like if he was like a scarecrow, you could see that. Or is it just because... I see him so- tripping over it. <laughs> yeah, we're just so used to him with the gloves. It's, it's kind of hard to and the separate gloves, the two. Well, the gloves are so unique. Yeah. You know? I mean, sickle like it, it is synonymous with the Grim Reaper, or, or and so maybe it's because of our association with that that we can't really see it past that. And even like the the like Nightmare on Elm Street, Elm Street was the uh, um that's the road where JFK was assassinated on in Dallas. Really? Yeah. So like when he uh, he turns on like when he makes that final left turn that he makes that left onto Elm Street that's the one that's a uh, next to the book depository. So that yeah and and all these honestly God all these choices with plot the killer and everything I really do feel that this was kind of like how do I describe it the, the Dark Knight slash Iron Man moment for the slasher genre where. With superhero movies from yeah. starting from X-Men in 2000 to 2008. By 2008, how many were kind of farting out? Like Spider-Man crapped out. You had, you know, the first Hulk movie, which which didn't go nowhere. No. Yeah, even by the X-Men movies by that point was a little... Yeah, you had X-Men 3, which no one liked. Fantastic Four, Rise of Silver Surfer. It was the year prior. 
uh, the two Punisher movies and Punisher Warzone go like direct to DVD or something? I think it had a limited release. Bat- um, yeah, Batman Begins was successful, and then even though it was it was successful, but it wasn't that it was it wasn't it, made, it wasn't the uh, groundbreaking moment. Yeah, no, yeah, I mean, I, mean, I think it made like a little over three, maybe four hundred million dollars on yeah. like a hundred fifty million dollar budget, but it was so critically acclaimed. That's why Warner Brothers greenlit and allowed him to. Nolan to make The Dark Knight. Yeah, so like by 2008, the superhero movie genre, as hard as it is to believe now, 11 years later, would really would look like it was starting to fucking peter out. Like yeah. it was run a few. And then Dark Knight, I say both Dark Knight and Iron Man. Yes. Because Iron Man was the start of the MCU, which mm-hmm. now defines the fucking superhero genre. Right. And Dark Knight was this amazing cultural moment right. helmed by superhero movies, and it's which just- revitalized it. And I kind of feel like, in my opinion, this is opinion only. Mm-hmm. I know, I know the the, the dreaded O word mm-hmm. that Nightmare on Elm Street was cut by 1984 was kind of the shot in the arm the slasher genre needed because everything was becoming so fucking derivative. Yeah, I mean, it's not like you know from this point on all slasher movies were great like you know superhero movies did, mm-hmm. but this you know brought interest back to a genre that before it, just before it, you could have you could have made the argument. All right, this is getting kind of tired and played out. Right. Uh, I will agree and kind of disagree with you on that because um, – What? Yeah. You disagree? Yeah, I know. I'm going to tweet about this. Oh, go, go right ahead. Uh, and so uh, the only, the funny thing is like with The Dark Knight and the Iron Man coming out, it, it, it did spell the direction of their respective companies and how they will t- treat their material going forward for better or for worse. Um, and then you – at least like I think Nightmare on Elm Street like – because what other great slash movie happened that was not a sequel after this? Off the top of my head, I couldn't think. No, of I, it. I, that's the thing. I think like this spelled. I, I want to say that kind of like the death nail of slash movies because you had to compete with that kind of idea, and like the Nightmare on Elm Street series had great moments afterwards. I mean, like you'd argue like you could. The sequel of, of Dream Warriors might be even better than this one, or not. I know a lot of people think like, "Oh, you need is one and three, or one, three and seven if you want to have a perfect trilogy of of Nightmare on Elm Street movies." So, I just feel like it's like after that point, after the first Nightmare on Elm Street, like how does the slasher movie compete? And I understand like it launched a whole new generation of slasher movies afterwards, and with a new franchise. But I know. Uh, the final chapter of uh, Friday, I mean Friday the Thirteenth, was the same year of '84, but somehow that kept going. Halloween came back a few years later. I, I well, that's that's why I say it's more the shot in the arm than the death knell, because it kept it kept making money for several more, many more years after this. Right, I just feel like until I'd say until like '88, '89. And it was, I'd, I'd say '89 because that was when Friday the Thirteenth finally failed. That was when Halloween finally failed. Mm-hmm. What, what year was Dream Child? Is that 89 also? Might have been. Yeah, Close. I think 90 was Freddy's Dead. Yeah. So eighty, pretty much for another five years, like the previous five years, you know, mm-hmm. from say like 78, 79, and then the next, like it gave it a, it gave it another five years. Yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street, I feel. I, 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 they all, they, they continue to make money, but I don't think none of them reached the artistic I know it's no. like a very pretentious um, The artistic heights. Achievements of achievements. the original Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. And, and so that's why like, I feel like, like, how do you compete with that? How do you continue with that? And that's the one thing I will say about the Nightmare on Elm Street series when we talk about it like that compared to Friday the 13th, which was going on 
concurrently is that the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, good or bad, they always tried something to be, they always try to be inventive, whether it be through the kills or the set designs. And it always seemed very unique because when you're dealing with dreams, you can deal with dream logic and nothing has to really truly make sense. And you can be as outlandish and strange as possible. Whereas Friday the 13th, this is like, okay, people show up into a wooded area, stalked by a slow moving person in a hockey mask who kills them. Mm. Lather, rinse, repeat. Yeah. Well, this, it's it was like, lather, rinse, repeat with, okay, next time he's going to be even goofier. Yeah. But yeah, so the movie opens up with the... Well, oh, you oh, got to remember we... that Craven, he shopped this around to every fucking studio yes. and they all turned his ass down. Yeah. He even still has, he has his uh, rejection letter from Universal framed on his office. He had it for many years before he passed away. Yeah. But they went, uh, New Line originally uh, agreed to produce it, but their distribution deal fell through. New Line was still very low-budget indie at this point. Yeah, the, like they made their money by, because Reefer Madness went to the public domain, and they distributed that like on 16mm and 35mm, and that's how they would keep the lights on, as well as they were doing some distribution of it. They were not a, traditionally a production house. Yes. And... You know, they they had trouble. They had to borrow some money. But when it became successful, New Line has been has said that this is the house that Freddie built. Yeah, and so much of their all their achievements all, all go back to Freddie. Even like the heights of cinematic achievement when it comes to the Lord of the Rings series belong to Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, hell, even before Lord of the Rings was even made, Peter Jackson was brought in to write a um, Nightmare on Elm Street sequel down the line. Which I kind of want. They they could still use that idea to relaunch the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. The idea was that Freddy has become such a joke that kids are tranquilizing themselves to go into Dream World just to kick the shit out of Freddy <laughs> because he's that much of a, a, a pushover. A yeah. However, he accidentally is able to defend himself and kill a kid and regain some of his power, and then turns back on the well, kids. Almost kind of goes with Freddy versus Jason, where like. They don't remember me. I have to make them remember, you know? Yeah, and that's why he, he resurrects Jason in yeah. order to do that. And then they have a big monster fight. Mm -hmm. uh, this movie is also produced by Robert Shea, mm -hmm. who has be pretty much become Mr. F uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. He's been really the the guy bringing it back all this time. He's been the gatekeeper of Nightmare on Elm Street, even after the many times Wes Craven has come and gone. Mm -hmm. So he's in there. Uh, when it came to casting, though... Everyone knows who Freddy is, right? Yes. It's uh, uh, Robert England. Robert sure. England. It almost wasn't. It was originally David Warner cast yes. as him. And if, for those who may not know him, you will know him as either Professor... Uh, Professor Jordan Perry from Ninja Turtles 2. Yes. Uh, the, the fucking... What was he? Was it, he, he wasn't the master control program in Tron, was he? he was, no, he was the... It's been years since I've watched Tron, so he, I can't. He was, he was the, the boss of Jeff Bridges, whose avatar was used as a program in, in Tron. Yes. But he was in that. He's been in fucking everything. And he was the voice of Ra's al Ghul on the Batman animated Batman, series. Batman animated series. David Warner has been in. He, he was in fucking Scream 2. He was, um, he was the, uh, Sydney's uh, college drama professor. Yes. And he's the, whenever I read Ra's al Ghul on a comic, he's the voice I hear. He's the voice you hear. It's so sad. I wish they got him back for, like, Arkham City. Yes. And Arkham Knight. Because the fact that you had Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill... I remember when I first played Arkham Asylum, uh, Anything Goes podcast episode coming soon. Yes. When I first played Arkham Asylum, I kept thinking to myself, it's like, okay, we got Kevin Conroy, we got Tara, uh, 
Was it Tara Strong? I think she, no. Arlene Sorkin did the original Arlene, yes, Arlene uh, on the Sorkin. show. But I think by this point, she had already voiced Batgirl on the new adventures of it. And I think she voiced Harley in all of the games. I don't think no, Arlene Sorkin... Were... Tara Strong took over Arkham City and Knight. Okay. Arlene so... Sorkin was in Arkham Asylum. Okay. And you had Mark Hamill's show. You had those three. When I didn't hear the fucking voice of Commissioner Gordon from the anime series. Yeah. You know, that kind he, of broke my heart. he passed away in 2005. Did he? I think really? so. I did not know that. Mm. When I hear uh, uh, in Arkham City, I don't hear, uh, what is it, Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. Yes. As the voice of Alfred. Yeah. Breaks my heart. I don't hear, the you know, the voice of, like, Dick Grayson. Yeah, I think maybe he's the one passing to his and then like I forget like the Which, time. I don't know everybody's name. Yeah. Um and Alfred um Jr., like he was the second Alfred on the T V series because yes. there was a uh gentleman Alfred. who voiced him for a few episodes of it. And it's very it is kind of jarring to hear like halfway through the show, like, oh wait, we have a different Alfred all yes. of a sudden. But But it's even more jarring to know we almost had a different Freddy. Even to the point where there was concept art done as David makeup Warner. Tests. Yeah. Actual makeup test. It looked more like he had psoriasis than burns. Yeah. <laughs> and he didn't have like kind of like a fedora, he had a little bit like almost a hat. Just right. a hat. Yes. It wasn't the, it wasn't a baseball cap or anything. No, no, it was no, like a, a hat was, like the fedora. With a brim and everything like that, but it was more like I don't know, like a an Italian uh giallo kind of killer hat. That's what it was the the vibe it was on. Yeah, but uh David wanted to drop out to a scheduling conflict, so after looking at, you know, many different actors to replace him, nobody had the ferocity, but Robert England was the one really willing to go to like that, you know, dark place in his mind yeah. to to do this. Very feral and very just like animated, and he like he wouldn't be impeded by the makeup. Mm-hmm. And um, you know we have uh, many for our, for our teen cast because obviously in a slasher movie it's got to be rounded out with teenagers. Yarp. We have uh, Heather Langenkamp as the lead character, Nancy Thompson. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Saxon as her father, Lieutenant Donald Thompson. John Saxon, obviously everyone knows from Enter the Dragon and mm-hmm. a multitude of other things. And as her boyfriend, Glenn, in his very first role ever, some fucking hack who went on to do absolutely nothing nope, named no. Johnny Depp. Yeah, who's, who's that guy? What the fuck ever happened to that fucking I, guy? I, I don't know. I think just uh, disappears to the winds of time. Exactly. Sure. Uh, but we also have Ronnie Blakely as her mother, Marge Thompson, who mm. unfortunately has a drinking problem and a marriage on the rocks from a husband yes. that works all the time. Uh, Amanda Weiss as her best friend, Tina. Tina. And as her boyfriend, uh, we have... Actor Nick Corey, that was his credited name. His yeah. real name is Chase Sue Garcia. Right. As yeah. a boyfriend, Rod, who's like the fucking, he's like a street greaser in the 80s. Yeah. He's like the motorcycle. That's the thing. Like, greasers kind of came back in style a little bit in the 1980s. And I know greasers are still kind of a thing in Japan as well today. Like, that that kind of culture is, I know, it's a weird thing that it I just is, gave him a look. <laughs> I know. Like, you just gave, you shot me a look like, what? Uh, you gave me a look like Darth Vader in the, at the end of New Hope. Like, what? Um, so it is, it is, it's a curious thing. And the, I, I find, I guess it's a little unfortunate that, um, Nick Corey used that name because he didn't think he'd be cast as using his uh, birth name as, uh, so, uh, uh, what? Chisu. Yeah. As of a uh, Hispanic descent. That's why he changed his name like that. So that's, mm-hmm. And I guess he pretended to be Italian. I think that's what hey, he, yo, hey, he, uh, yeah, hey. sure, yeah, Fonzie, there you go. But yes, all these actors are very young. And, and uh, as we said before, with, with describing the acting, it shows, uh, a lot, <laughs> I love these people, but yes. many of these perform, uh, Heather Langenkamp's performance is, is very schlocky and hammy. Mm-hmm. Her delivery, um, 
FedEx delivers better than her <laughs> in this movie. But, I, no, but that's the thing, though. As you see, as like we said earlier, with how these actors have gone on to other things, they've continued working at their craft and have gotten a million times better. Oh, yeah. That, that's why you look at Heather Landicap, even by Dream Warriors. Yeah. She's a, she, like her delivery is not as melodramatic, and by the time New Nightmare comes around, you just you're, you're hanging every word she says. I just remember when, when she like recites her lines from the first movie. It's almost as if she's pretending to be Nancy and not pretending and not herself. Yeah, like when she tells the hospital, "Screw your past." It's like, yeah. wait a minute, you weren't acting like that earlier. No, yeah, like you just, you just hammed it up a little bit, Missy. <laughs> I was literally just thought about that when uh, this moment from New Nightmare today when I was getting the mail where. After Julie, the babysitter, is killed, and Nancy uh, Heather is standing in the doorway examining, it, and the nurse pops up behind her trying to grab uh, Heather, and Heather just like throws her elbow back into her stomach. It's like boom, off me. Doesn't look at it. she pretty much does a Batman moment, just like knock the person out mm. behind them. And for some reason, I was chuckling to myself thinking about that. Oh, uh, principal photography was uh, lasted for thirty-two days in June of eighteen eighty-four in and around L.A. Um, the actual Elm Street house. This is another cool thing, you know, from the slasher genre. We do have a, a house. We have the the house. An identifiable house that's gone down in horror history. Yes. It's a private home in Los Angeles, 1428 North Genesee Avenue. Please don't harass the people. No, please don't. <laughs> harass the fucking Amityville people. They're a fucking bunch of jerk-offs. Yeah, I mean, I, I if went... If you don't want to be known for living in a famous house, don't live in a famous fucking house. Yeah, because last time I went there, there was numerous signs like, don't take photos, do not take video of the house. And you know people just aren't going to do that when you put that up, you know? No, yeah, like... Six I mean, years ago, when I was working down in that area and I'm passing by, I fucking stopped at the stop sign, whipped out my camera. Yeah. I mean, like, if I didn't... I wouldn't have noticed the house unless those signs were up, because yeah. like, it, it does blend in, because it's so you ubiquitous with the designs of the rest of that neighborhood. It's one of those where you think, is it that house or is it that house? Yeah. Oh, it must be that house because of all the fucking signs saying, don't pay attention to the, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Kind of, yeah. <laughs> That's the vibe it gives off. But yes. And as we said about special effects, over 500 gallons of fake blood were used. Now, we've always praised how, like, Halloween got its horror through bloodless. Mm -hmm. This is not a bloodless movie. No. This movie is – this movie, I, I swear to God, I think they use more blood in certain scenes than the human body can hold. Oh, that's for damn sure. But I think it's, it's <laughs> that's supposed point. to – Yeah, it leans into that. Blurring the lines of reality. Right. Um, however, you go back to Last House on the Left, like, Wes Kramer was not chintzy with blood. He will always use as much blood as possible, mm. whether it be that or The Hills Have Eyes. And that's the one curious thing I realized about Wes Craven. He's made a classic horror or thriller movie in each decade that he was making movies. Where they, in the 70s, you could argue it's either Last House or The Hills Have Eyes. Uh, 80s, uh, it is A Nightmare on Elm Street. 90s, it's definitely Scream. And the early aughts is Red Eye. I think it's a really tense thriller on that. The aughts after that, like, oh, okay, the 2010s, like, nah, nothing truly groundbreaking there. I apologize. What's to your name? Well, as it comes to special effects, we'll get into more as each scene pops up. But to uh, begin the movie, we are greeted with the old New Line Cinema, you know, logo. Yeah, it's, I it's think almost it, like a snuff film. I, I, I think I saw something recently that just reused that um, that logo. Well, what's funny is when I first like saw this, when we first saw this in theaters, it had been such a long time since I'd really watched it from the beginning. I thought that this was like 
I thought that for some reason we were watching the trailer before it. You know, like they just put it on as like a little yeah thing because you're so used to New Line Cinema of like the the frame coming together and like and you you when you think of the New Line Cinema logo, what's the movie you think of the first Ninja Turtles? Yes. It's either like that, or Mortal Kombat the movie, or, or Lord of the Rings. Yes, with with the 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 film Fl- uh, flipping into yeah, and like the the uh, sprocket holes being kind of cockeyed, landing on it, and yeah. like New Line Cinema of it, like, and so seeing the original logo of like the old, um, I think it might have been Annabelle Comes Home that might have been used because that's also distributed through New Line Cinema because they're now owned by Warner Brothers. But we are open with the. Uh, Spooky music by Charles Bernstein. Yeah, very good stuff. The the kind of one. It has the melody of the one, two, two phrase coming for dun, 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 dun. Pretty creepy. But we have a, a a man in a in a red and green sweater, mm-hmm. striped sweater, in a boiler room, and he begins building at a workbench. He's he's building something clearly very spiky, evil. This is a good. This is a good lesson in craftsmanship, right here. Yeah, this is good. You know, American made. It's not. Made in China or anything, his knives. He breathes like I fucking do when I have, like, allergies. Yeah, like, he's just, like, like a two-pack-a-day smoker or something yeah. like that after he's run a marathon. <laughs> I, I saw a commercial for a sleep apnea basket, and I just thought of you. Uh, Fuck you. <laughs> Fuck you in the ass. <laughs> but, yes, it is Freddy building his famous glove. Yes. And tearing through bedsheets. And then we are greeted by a young woman, the yeah. character who we find out is the character of Tina, Running around, you know, said boiler room, mm-hmm. looking scary, looking terrified, wondering where she is. Opening credits are, you know, going on. And, and since she's the first person we see, it goes back to the um, Janet Lee and Psycho. Yeah, it, it goes back to the idea of what Dan Harmon says: like, you want to introduce a hero, or an ident- you want the audience to identify with somebody, show somebody. First, yep. we'll latch on to the first person we see on screen, and that's why we believe. Tina to be the Janet Leah's movie in the terms of Psycho. That's how we later find out. Mm-hmm. And she's running around this boiler room, you know, scared out of her wits as the opening credits, you know, continue. And she saw Sheep earlier on, and it's like, it's like, what the hell is that about? And even Wes Craven is like, it thought it would just be a weird image to see. So I don't think there's any really deeper explanation about that. I have never thought but, of that. But as she's cornered, she sees something go by. And pops up from behind her, boom, it's Freddy. Now this in the TV version with open mat, you could see him Scurry around. squatting around behind, scurrying around behind her to and, get in, in place. Yes. But this, he attacks and then she wakes up. And her mother, who has like a, you know, gentleman caller over, yeah, uh, comes to check on her. He wants her to go back to bed and she's saying, oh, you, you, you gotta cut your nails, honey. She apparently has these like four like shred on her nightgown. Yeah, she's in her nightgown, like yeah. like a claw hand, and it's it immediately grabs a crucifix because she's scared fucking shitless out and, of her and mind. Clenches now. that as she goes back to bed. Yeah, and goes back to bed. The next morning, we see a couple of little girls jump roping with the Freddy nursery rhyme, and pulling up, it, we are greeted by Nancy, Glenn, and Tina, all talking about the worst nightmare they had. Right, you know? and that's the one cool thing about it is because it goes from slow motion. From the pan to introduce the kids and it goes into regular motion and it was like kind of like that kind of hazy filter around them mm-hmm. as they uh, approach, but now it's like it's more naturalistic lighting once they're having the conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rod shows up, the teen's boyfriend Rod shows up, who's trying to be all all cool, but you kind of get the feeling that they don't really like him that much. No, and, he, and he's trying. <laughs> he's trying to. He's trying too hard to be cool and tough. Yeah. So, but it turns out all of them seem to have had really bad dreams, and they're kind of just dismissing it. Tina's clearly disturbed by this, right? 
you know, Nancy and Glenn, they're they're brush it off as just whatever. They're, they're they're sympathetic, but they're just like, come on, it's, everybody has bad dreams. There's nothing to really um, stress over or in, in mm-hmm. any way for him. But like, even like. Glenn like makes a comment about it, and they question like, "Hey, did you have a nightmare?" And he runs away back into runs into the school to start his day. Yeah. So we c- cut to later that night. Uh, Tina has convinced since her mom is away, has convinced Nancy and uh, Glenn to spend the night. Yeah, keep Glenn her has, company because she's kind of freaked yeah. out of what's happened. Glenn has to call his mom and and do some elaborate scheme saying he's over his aunt's house or something. Yeah, and apparently she lives down by the airport, so he's got his boombox next to the phone, and he's got tape playing of airplane sounds to simulate the fact that he's next to an airport. However... There's more shit on it. Yeah, it's like, there's car racing, there's a Screeching. car crash. He's got to be, oh, I think some kids are drag racing. Oh, somebody crashed, and then there's like some fucking... Domestic, like, uh... Gunfire? Yeah, some kind of... Uh, Huge situations going on, and there's like war sounds in there. Like he could just said, "Hey, turn the TV down." Yeah, turn I, the TV down, I, Billy, I, I, or whatever. Yeah, and like Nancy's trying to help him by, and she ends up like yeah. tur- turning the tape back around and making a lot of noise, and end up ejecting it before he t- hangs up the phone. Yeah, but after he leaves the room, uh, Nancy and I, I keep I keep wanting to call her Heather, <laughs> so I'm almost thinking like it's a new nightmare, right? But they're talking, and apparently. Nancy and Tina had the exact same dream about of the same of the same gentleman of the same crazy guy who was burned wearing a sweater and a hat and finger knife gloves yeah. that he made himself. And, and, and there is the idea of parallel thought and synchronicity, but the idea of streaming the same thing—that's the one thing that's rather peculiar. And it's, however, while they're having this conversation, that's when they start hearing squeaking noises coming from the backyard. Mm-hmm. So. You know, this is your nice little slow burn scare right there. They go out to investigate. Glenn goes out to check in the yard, finds nobody's there, and he's immediately tackled by Glenn. Yeah. <laughs> no, by, um, I, by Rod. Tackled by Rod. God yeah. damn it. He, he, he tackled, tackled himself. himself. <laughs> oh, jinx. jinx. You owe me oh, a beer. Uh, oh, God damn it. <laughs> I broke the jinx pattern. Yeah. Oh, you see his face? Uh, and so, how he made the noises, he got like a... He has a switchblade that he was... No, he had a little, like a dig-up tool, like the oh, garden okay, tool. Like a trowel was, or something? Yeah, and he was just, I guess, dragging it against like a fence or something like that. Well, when Glenn tells him off, he pulls a fucking switchblade on him, so yeah. we know that he's uh, armed. Yeah, but I love the fact that like Nancy's the one who takes it away from it, and he's, she's able to just like see that, like, no problem, like, she's dealt with switchblades before. <laughs> and it, it, it's a little character detail, and it's like, how the hell does Nancy know how to use that? And Tina's like, hey, you guys are not going to stay. You're not, please not going to leave me alone with this maniac. She says that in a jesting way. As, and he immediately puts his hand over her mouth. Rod immediately puts his hand over her mouth and pulls and her le- away. And, like, in a flirtatious way, like, we're going to take the, her mother's room. You get to have the rest of the house. Yeah. And Glenn sees that his opportunity to try and make a move on Nancy, who's not having it. She's she's still kind of freaked out about the whole dream thing. Yeah, and so she's like, we're just going to keep watch and make sure everything's going to be fine. Yep. And Glenn, uh, Oh, and they get to keep watch, all right? They're the lucky people that get to keep watch while yeah, we listen to hear um, Tina uh, and Rod fucking loudly. I mean, like, Jesus Christ, like, it's, like, echoing throughout the house, the creaks and the moans, and Glenn can't get to sleep there because he's just, like... Uh, and he's not getting any. No, and it's, it's frustrating. It's kind of like when I was at college, whenever I heard somebody having sex in another dorm room, like, I can't concentrate right now because all I hear is banging. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, it wouldn't last that long. So and then when the Rod point. went out for a cigarette, he said, boy, your mama really cares about your education. And little <laughs> Forrest Gump said to him, <laughs> Forrest Gump review coming, coming soon, soon from Anything Goes Podcast. Yes. And they finish. <laughs> uh, and Rod says, like, no more nightmares, okay? They'll and, go to bed. Everything seems all right. And, but even Rod says, like, he had, had a nightmare. Or he, he alludes to the fact that he had a nightmare. Mm-hmm. 
So Nancy's now sleeping in Tina's bed, and her the crucifix that was there from the night before suddenly falls off the wall. Suddenly falls off the wall. So Nancy, you know, goes back to sleep. We get a lot of just quiet shots of outside, slow burn, pan- panning, zooming, yeah, very slowly. And everything seems to be nothing seems to be rotten in Denmark at the moment. However, somebody's throwing rocks at the window at Tina's uh, uh, room that she's occupying. Now you said this before. If somebody's throwing rocks at your window, would you get up and really investigate it? Yeah, especially if they throw one that fucking cracks the window. I'd be like, nope, I lock the door and go back to bed. Lock and, the door and go wake back somebody to bed. Up. I would listen very carefully just to, you know, fucking make sure they're not entering my house. Right. I mean, hell, somebody pulled up to my house today and was just sitting in their car idling, talking on their phone. I didn't know if they were going to be coming up and knocking on the door. But I, had, like, I had fucking Jehovah's Witnesses or whatever ringing my fucking doorbell the other day. I'm just like, what? go away. I'm, I'm not saying it out loud because I was making coffee for myself. Uh-huh. It's like, that's nice. Just ignore it. I hear him knocking on the door. We have a little, like, door banger thing yeah. doing that. I wasn't fucking budging. No. Fuck them. No. If it's someone I know, and this has happened before, if it's someone I know, they will call my cell phone and say, hey, I'm here. Could you let me in? Yeah. Um, and so Nancy's fast asleep. However, the wall that now does not have a crucifix on it is bending outward as Freddy's pushing his way through the wall. Yes. This, is, this was done really well. Like, the aid of lighting was a huge factor in this. They basically took... What a, a bed sheet or something? It was. I, or, it's a hole in the wall, and it's covered with like uh, some kind of elastic um, material. Material, and it's like really cheap, like five dollars or something like that. And like he's literally just pushing on this very taut with his hands up in like a claw, you know, fashion, like, to, uh, like a monster trying to come down on, like ready to attack her. Yeah. And but and you compare that to the remake where it was all done digitally and. And unfortunately, does not hold up. No, this is so effective right here, and it's simple. And, and so, oh, go on. Well, no, I was just going to say, like, what to reiterate, it's it's the lighting here. You have basically, like, one light off to the side yeah. illuminating uh, Nancy. Right, and it's almost like, even like the, since it's, it's a white background, it's like it's almost like acting a bounce board that's bouncing back onto yeah. Nancy on the side, like almost like a kicker on the side of her head. And what's great with it with that is that, as he stretches it out in certain places, you could see it really contouring. You could see the shadows of it all. You could see it. It's De- for- almost so much detail of his face. You as could well. see the shadows and detail forming the face of like you know whoever's there, and, and it's creepy as fuck. And the, it, it just it goes back to the ingenuity of this movie, like how creative they had to be yeah. in order to solve that. And Nancy starts to toss and turn a little, opens her eyes, and he immediately pulls back. And Literally, it goes back in a way that, like, you wouldn't even know that that wasn't a fucking wall. No. And it, and then, you know, as she looks at the crucifix, she, yeah, she, you know, sits up, hangs it back on the wall, knocks on it. Camera's, sure. camera's still in the same fucking place. And make sure that it's like, okay, everything seems to be it's still It's still a wall, and it's done seamlessly. And yeah. we're, we watched this on a Blu-ray. Yeah. On the, uh, uh, which I'll discuss later, you know, the 2010 Blu-ray, which is kind of like the master that has been re-released many a times in different box sets. Right. But that is, like, the most recent big digital transfer is the 2010 one. Right. And we've even seen this on the big screen, I think, twice at this point. We've seen yeah. it uh, due to the folk, lovely folks at Retro Picture Show. Two times we've seen this on 35mm film. And both times with crowds that most people probably have seen this movie, it, it can't, they can't help but be affected by it because it is a... It's an unnerving little scene right there, that, and it's like one of those, I think, one of those iconic shots of the entire franchise, if not horror fran- horror in general. Indeed. But uh, Tina goes downstairs, goes out to investigate. She's constantly being called by this voice, which 
What the fuck? No. No. Call the cops. Yeah. Wake somebody up. Say, hey, guys, come with me. Like, if I showed up in your yard and started calling your name out, I know, like, I wouldn't, I would not. I would find the first rock, I would throw it at you, then walk over and start stomping on you. Yes. And then when I realized it's you, I would just continue stomping. It's like, God damn it, you got me out of bed. You know how badly I sleep. (laughs) But she's walking around, like, the back alley of her house with, like, no shoes on, a little, like, nighty and underwear. Right. And a, uh, a garbage can lid rolls out and falls over. That's when Freddy, like, comes out of the shadows, introduces himself, and we see him walk out with, like, these big puppety arms. Yeah, like his go-go gadget arms he's got extending out to the either side of the alleyway. They do look kind of funny and wonky. You yeah, know? I, I mean, like, even in the Blu-ray, you can kind of tell where the strings are, that, like, the fishing rods that held out the extensions of these arms here. But the fact that it is in silhouette, like, he is lit from behind, so it kind of hides it a little bit. But even... Um, He's scraping on the dumpster with his finger knives. Yeah, Wes Craven was never truly happy with the fact, but it was like, all right, this is the best we're going to be able to do, so this is yeah. what we have to live with. So she says, please, God, and he says, this, this is God. God. That's when his face really comes in. And we see just how great the fucking you know, special effects look of, of the, the, the burns and everything, mm-hmm. which the special effects team did research pictures of actual burn victims from like UCLA, I believe. Yeah. And it's, it's very effective. The, the look has changed over the years. It's varied right. here and there, but... It's been the same general thing. And truthfully, I don't have a problem with really the 2010 look. No. I don't have a problem with it. It mm-hmm. looks fine because they researched burn victims as well. Yeah. You know? And the fact that like his nose was essentially burned off, which is what would happen. Yeah. Because his mouth seems there. like a little smaller. Yeah. That may just be Jackie Earl Haley, mm-hmm. Lee Harvey Oswald, whatever I keep calling him. <laughs> Mark David Chapman. Yeah, and his, his he, Rorschach voice doesn't... He killed John F. Kennedy, <laughs> uh, small children, and John Lennon. Yeah, yeah, he was a, he's a, and, and he's a real bad news bear, if you ask me. He's gotten away with a lot. <laughs> and then he has this really cool, like, sock he puts over his head with ink that moves around. Yeah. And he asks That's you, what do you see? Joke. Yeah, it's a Rorschach joke. Um... And he uses his Rorschach voice in that movie entirely. Yes, but she goes running from him, and he starts running after her. Like I said before, this is uh, the first one I could think of in probably a while. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there were some low-level I mean, like, slashers. Like, even like Friday the 13th Part 2 and 3, Jason's kind of like a hillbilly chasing Br- after brisk people. Jo- briskly jogs. Yeah. You know? like, even in the video game, that's the, those are the only two versions of the character that let you actually run. And I think Part 5, too. Right, because he's a human in that one. In, in those, but the rest of them, you're just you know walking. Right. But you have, but you're stronger because yes. you're like this undead zombie. So she runs away, and the camera pans with her, catching up to her, and she runs into Freddy again. Yeah, how they did it, it's kind of like a, a Texas switch where they had like the stuntman running in the background towards her, and it's all done in one shot. She pans forward, she's looking over her shoulder, looking backwards. When she turns forward, Robert England is, is right there. there in front of her, and then bam, runs into her. So she runs back away, turns down an alley, closes the gate, Continues running through back into her, through her yard, runs past the tree, and that's where you talked about the one optical shot. Right? Yeah, and because of the uh, and the only reason I think it kind of doesn't really hold up because you, he's somewhat translucent there. <laughs> yeah, it's a very very thin and kind of like leaning tree, yeah. very small, and he pops out from behind, like it. a Looney Tunes character. Yes, catches her attention. And says, "Watch this!" and cuts off two of his fingers. I I, I kind of don't while smiling, grinning hysterically, like, "Look, I bleed," and he bleeds toxic waste apparently. Yeah. You you question like why did like he why? do that? I guess like and my ex- only explanation is just to unnerve her even more that he's willing to do that to himself. What is he going to do yep. to her? But he catches her trying to get in the back door, wrestles her to the ground. Uh, she goes to like grab his face, pulls his pulls his face off, off 
And literally, there's his like laughing skull and eyes underneath. Yeah, that thank was, God it was not t- Nicholas Cage or John Travolta underneath that face. They pulled his face, the face off. <laughs> but Rod wakes up and Tina's in the bed screaming. We see under the covers, Freddie's under the wrestling she's, with her. Yeah, she's, she's, she's thrashing about. Rod pulls off the comforter and she's there by herself, by herself thrashing, showing against nothing. At which point, her fucking blouse like rips open and we see the slash marks down the center of her chest. Yeah, bleeding and, profusely and like. At, we are like the audience at this point because we're both like aghast at just like Rod is and he's like, oh my God, what's going on? He tries to turn the lamp in the room and Tina is, is becoming Tina's air- now levitating. And levitating and she sw- is swung at him like he, he's a, like he, like a baseball bat. Yeah. He clock, he takes out the lamp and one of the most effective shots in the entire movie here is that when we see Tina get dragged upside the side of the wall and onto the ceiling itself with Rod in the foreground on the right side of the frame. And how they did this is like it was literally Rod is is strapped in next to the camera, and the entire room is rotated mm-hmm. with it inside. And so she's a um she's obeying, really she's really on the on the bottom by now. Yeah, she's obeying the laws of gravity while everything else is rotating. Yes, and, and it's seamless with how the camera's positioned. Yeah, it's based on it like the old Fred Astaire dancing movies where like how he would dance on the the walls and ceilings yes. of his room, or how Sugar Ray did it in nineteen ninety seven. For I just wanna fly. Mm. Put your arms around me, baby. Put your arms around. Who, who sung that? Sugar Ray. Yeah, let's keep it that way. Thanks. That's a joke my uncle used to use. I know. Who sings that song? Why don't you let them sing it? Because uh, that was used on me in a, a podcast recording recently, so I felt like it, I, I didn't a, use it on you. No, you didn't use it. I'm my, shocked. Uh, my other co-host did, but I think I, I I pay it forward by using it on you. Oh, okay, that's good. But, yeah, it's very effective. And this rotating room set was used later in the film for Glenn's death scene. Spoilers. Spoilers. At which point, um, Nancy's woken up, and Tina, her lifeless body, just drops to the bed, and blood splashes everywhere. And I think there was supposed to be more blood. It was supposed to be a bigger pool splash, splash, but the MPAA made him cut it it down a little bit. Yeah, I believe this movie was submitted, like, twice. Yeah. So Glenn and Nancy are trying to get in. The door's locked. Rod's like screaming, who the fuck did this? I'll kill you. By the time they actually get in, Rod's left and jumped out the fucking window. So he's- what? So like Nancy and Glenn are only led to believe that Rod, who they jokingly that he's a maniac, but like as uh, in jest, but has just slaughtered his girlfriend and left the scene. Yeah. Now, that's what we're, you know, the, we the- think they think. But as we find out, that's not the whole story here. Uh, we cut back to the police station where... Her father, the lieutenant, oh, Lieutenant Traxler, I think. That no, that's Terminator. Oh yeah, my bad. <laughs> <laughs> also, it came out in '84. That's how I justified Lieutenant that. John Saxon. Yeah, John John Saxon here. Lieutenant John Saxon. <laughs> Me <laughs> and Bruce Lee beat everybody. I'll get this fucking bastard. Yeah, and we were making jokes like like we can see John Saxon being a Troy McClure in real life. <laughs> I am John Saxon. You remember me from such movies as Enter the Dragon, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and From Dusk Till Dawn. Lieutenant Donald Thompson. Yes. Nancy Thompson's father. And we, if you are fans of the Scream series and our Scream uh, podcast, you recognize the second command here. The officer is was the sheriff in a nightmare in, uh, in Scream. Yes, what was his name? I totally forget now. But I mean, I, I'm just trying to think. Well, what, what was it's it? that guy? Is that guy the I guy that, that was smoking around Dewey and had black boots? Yes. And you thought, oh look, black boots. It might be him, even though he's a completely different body type. 
<laughs> it would be funny if that was him uh, in Scream anyway. And he but... just runs into shit because he's old. Yes. While wearing that costume, he's old and he can't see real well. <laughs> and so he, in Nightmare on Elm Street, John Saxon is getting the report of what happened to... Yep. Um, Everyone. Yeah, but he's like, what was she doing there? He just Saxon asks his... Uh, she lives there. <laughs> he's like, no, not her. Her, as we've revealed that... Nancy is John Saxon's daughter. daughter. They walk into his office, and right there, the way the frame is positioned, we see, like, it's coming from, like, behind the right of his desk, and right there, there's a picture of her. Yeah. Of her, like, like a picture, like, he's got a picture of his daughter. Yeah. So, and and we're introduced to Marge Thompson, uh, the mother, (laughs) the wife. We could tell that they have a bit of an estranged marriage, Mm because she says, hello to you, too, Don. Yeah. And... Uh, the fact that like she does not have a tall thing of blue hair, do we know that she is not Marge Simpson? We know that she is not Marge Simpson. <laughs> now he's in. Now uh, her father, John Saxon, is convinced that you know, Rod, like everyone else, Rod did it because right. he's got a he's got a history of being a fucking troublemaker, delinquent, yeah, in trouble. They're saying, "What the hell were you doing, staying with a lunatic like Rod?" You know, yeah. and and Nancy defends him. Rod, Rod is not a lunatic. No, he, he, he doesn't that. believe that he did that. He wouldn't do that. Like he loved her, and like, yeah, sure, they had their squabbles and everything like that. But like, he was not capable of doing yep. this kind of horrendous, uh, horrendous act. And Nancy had even said they had had a fight, so no one, you know, believes her because she had said that. Yeah, but that's when Nancy really says how like they dream the same thing. Yeah. And she does not believe that it was it was actually Rod who did the killings. Mm-hmm. It, it is it is rather curious in that regard. There that it, it, it like it's it's a staple of the slasher genre that, or maybe just like a lot of like movies that is centered around uh, teens and young children, where the kids are aware of something, but the parents don't yep. believe them. Yep, because they're so far removed, I guess to. I really imagine have thought that they can't fathom the idea of something rather strange or out of the ordinary happening. And that's what the, one of the things this movie explores is like, okay, something really out of the ordinary is happening here. And we, the audience, are just like the protagonists know that something that is afoot. Yep. So the very next morning, you know, Nancy's getting ready for school. Her mother's having booze for breakfast, yeah. literally, and watching the news report on the murder. And the news has the absolute good taste to, to show uh, – um, Tina being taken out in a clear plastic body with not, her arm like falls out of it. Yeah, it, it's as clear pla- like like you would hang a fucking dress in a uh, dress or like a suit or like yes. like, like your dry cleaner. Yeah, yeah, like your fucking dry cleaning uh, uh, plastic bags. Except it's like the thicker zip up style. Yeah, and I guess the the corners were on a rush job or something like that because they didn't zip her up right away uh, put properly. Put fucking arm in the bag. Yeah, and she her arm literally falls out while she's yep. on the stretcher. So uh, Marge quickly turns the TV off when she sees Nancy coming in, tells her, like, why are you going to school? You were tossing and turning. You had no sleep. I think school would understand the fact that you wanted to take the day. Yeah. I, I, and truthfully, that's one thing um, that Jamie Lee Curtis said a lot in um, her description of the new of the latest Halloween film is, like, with Laurie Strode, she probably went to – there was no trauma, grief counseling. She probably went to school the very next day, bandaged her arm, and never said, there's the girl that survived it. Everyone, they're probably like, "Oh, there's her friend. She was there when she when Tina and, was and, and she probably received all those that that's her looks throughout yeah, the oh, for, look, for a while. It's it's Tim. Yeah, He's the, he does the podcast. Yeah, that's he makes, looks. He I, mean, I get those puns. looks anyway because I'm a ginger, so I'm kind of an anomaly when I'm walking around in public. Anyway, <laughs> he makes all those awful puns. Yes, yeah, so that's why I am the pun. You sure? So Nancy's walking to school, and apparently the Secret Service is following her, taking lessons from Michael Myers by standing behind a tree. Yeah. 
standing next to a tree and then disappearing when she goes to look back. Yeah, Dragnet is following them. Yeah. <laughs> At which point, when she stops by a bush, Rod pulls her out. He's got, like, his pants and his jacket on. He must have left everything. Yeah. Saying how, like, you know, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. They're going to fucking, they're going to fucking kill me. Right. And Nancy does believe him, though. Yes. That even despite every, all the evidence against him, she still believes him because she knows that he's a good person. Yes. He was even saying how there was someone else there, but, like, he couldn't, do he couldn't see about him. It. Yeah. It's like, it, it's so weird. But at which point, Lieutenant Cop Dad Saxon comes <laughs> Lieutenant out. Eckhart. Yeah, Lieutenant Eckhart comes out <laughs> with his gun. Uh, nobody brought him a snack that day, so, no. he's, so he's mad. He's got his he's got his piece out. Yeah, <laughs> Christ, why don't you broadcast it? Shut, Shut up. up! Listen, <laughs> I think I think the real lieutenant card was mad because no one brought him a real snack. Yes, I mean just like rest uh, in peace, William Hootkins. Yeah, I mean bread with um, dollar bills in between. Like that's not an appetizing meal. I mean his name was Porkins. He puts the pork in Porkins. Yeah, cover me, Porkins. You're big enough. <laughs> Got a problem here. <laughs> I got no, that. No, 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 no fat shaming. I'm sorry. No. <laughs> I'm fat myself. So. I still love you regardless. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Someone does. But he, Rod runs and Nancy stops him from sh- shooting him. Yeah. So he's run down the street. Cop car comes flying down. Yeah, and they, they surround him. Yep. They surround him. He's arrested and Nancy's pissed because her father used him as bait. Yeah. Uh, used her as bait. Hey, what the hell are you doing going to school anyway? anyway. At which point in her class, we are greeted by her teacher, Lin Shay. Yes, Bob Shay's uh, sister. Lin Shay, who has appeared in fucking more than any of us can count. She's, yeah, all, and, she's that lady that you yeah, see in all these films. And I mean, I've seen Detroit Rock City. I loved her Kingpin. in Detroit Rock That was I, I think that might have been my first Lin Shay movie. Right. Actually, no, Kingpin probably was. And then you have, and she's like one. She's like the face of the Insidious franchise now. And I was just gonna say, isn't she in the contract? No, it's Insidious. Yeah, and is, apparently she's like the loveliest person in the world to meet at conventions. So uh, that is a as a uh, wish I want to do is like to meet her at a horror convention because yep. she just seems like such a nice lady. But she's their English teacher, I guess. They're reading Julius Caesar. Yes. Uh, she selects a student to start reading uh, and a passage from it. Yep. And unfortunately, I didn't look into this any further, so there probably is something to it. Yeah, it's probably a very most times in movies when somebody reads a certain work or passage, it has something to do with the plot. I think we went into uh, Cassandra and Scream Two. Yeah, and what was it, Troy? Yeah, I think it was the play. And then that that Sydney's character knows that there's more evil to be, that will be happening. She knows, like she felt it was going to happen, and like it came true. Mm-hmm. And she Much had like to face it. Cassandra's prophecies about the fall of Rome. Right, and and that's <laughs> one of the things with. That made it very uh, unique about the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise is that we would never know when a dream happened. They wouldn't just be like all of a sudden it'd be the lighting changes and zoom. Yeah, it's not. It's not like oh my god, somebody's using the Dragon Balls. Why is it night all of a sudden? Exactly. (laughs) Like it was going to be a seamless transition between the dream world and the real world. We don't get that floaty transition with the. Let's do the Thelma and Louise ending. Okay. okay. Let's keep going, Wayne. Okay. And you know it's the dream at this point, but other than the music change and the fact that, that Nancy looks like she's Nancy's kind of fading a bit. The person who's reading the passage from Julius Caesar is doing it in a very dramatic, breathy way. Dramatic, wide-eyed, and something catches her attention out in the hallway. It, it's fucking... Uh, Tina's bloody dead body in her fucking dry cleaning bag. Right. And she's like calling out for Tina and said needs her help. But when she turns away, she she's gone, but there's this 
big fucking puddle of blood on the floor. And then she just follows the trail to see where it goes at this point. Now, at this point, I mean, yes, I know that this is supposed to be a dream now, but the whole thing is like, when you say, um, excuse me, someone, uh, can we call a janitor? Because there's blood all over the floor. Yeah, and if you were that janitor, they reported to a body being dragged around by itself. I'd like, fucking leave. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm going on break. Is a dead person? I'm, I'm going on break. So. And, that, and Heather Langenkamp uh, decides to follow the trail. Nancy Langenkamp. Nancy. Yeah. Heather Thompson. Oh, Jesus Christ. She follows it and, and runs into uh, runs into uh, Punky Brewster. Yeah. Wearing a, uh, wearing a Freddy Krueger sweater. And... Yeah. And it, during the impact, I guess bopped her nose because she's bleeding out of the nose. And the hall, the hall monitor asks, her, "Where's your hall pass? Screw your pass!" And and, and, <laughs> and Nancy runs away, but she's called back to a, a very peculiar voice because the hall monitor now has blood pouring out of her face and and knife gloves. And speaks with Freddy's voice saying, no running in the hallway as leaves are f- flying around in, in the air at this point. And she follows the blood trail down into the fucking boiler room where, you know, she finds Freddy. Freddy lifts up his shirt and slashes his chest open and, and bleeds fucking... Maggots uh, and, uh, the, I guess the... Maggots uh, and fucking Nickelodeon slime. Nickelodeon slime or the uh, um, glow stick uh, yeah. ingredients. But she goes to turn to leave, and there's now a wall behind her. Yeah, the stairs are gone. The because stairs are gone. We're, because we're operating under dream logic at this point that the environments can change in an yep. instant. Because you think about it in a dream, like, you can go from inside a house to across the ocean in a moment right there, and you, your mind does not question it. And she runs through, as she runs through the fucking Axis Chemicals set from Batman, <laughs> which she's practically turned into now, she's cornered. <laughs> and that's when Freddy says, Hey, Nancy, think about the future! <laughs> And then shoots her in the head. Yeah. And she goes flying back because she didn't get her snack. Nope. But, you know, he's pursuing, and that's where she's starting to really get, that's where she's starting to really understand this is only a dream. Right. There's something about this isn't, this isn't real. So she then takes her forearm and puts it on one of the boiler pipes and burns the motherfucker out of it. Yeah. And then she wakes up screaming, screaming and thrashing about in in the middle of class. class. Yep. And Lynn Shea tries to do her damnedest to calm her down. Like, okay. She got her kiss tickets, like in Detroit Rock City. Well, yeah. no, she took them away and lit them on fire. Yeah, because she doesn't want her children in the nights, uh, be part of the Knights and Service of Satan. Knights and Satan Service. Satan yeah. Service, excuse me. <laughs> she even asks, like, oh, you need a hall pass? <laughs> that, uh, that's a lovely yeah. button to that. The end oh, of yeah. Right there because everybody pops for that. Okay, but, yeah, Nancy just storms out with her bag, leaves. Just flustered, bewildered, doesn't know what the fuck is going on. However, when she looks back at her arms, she realizes there's there's actual bruise there. So there's a burn mark. There's like a first degree red burn mark on her forearm. Yeah, where where she touched the fucking boiler pipe. And you're wondering, like, wait, how the hell can it happen? Because it was just a dream, right? Mm-hmm. So she goes to visit Rod in prison, and that's where you know Rod finally confesses to her he had the same dream as them. Yeah. All of them are sharing the same fucking dream. And, like, how he convinces Nancy when she describes the man that he saw with the finger knives, with the, the four razors and everything, and that's what he believes created the cuts on Tina. Mm-hmm. And he asks, he asks Nancy, do you believe me? And she says, yeah, I do believe you. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's kind of a, it's a remarkable thing here that, like... It's where we're not, now they're starting to know, and, the, and, and they do put a name with it, Fred Krueger. Yeah. So she's there at, you know, at home in the bathtub. You know, wait, trying... wait, she knows Fred Krueger yet, does it? I don't think it's until he gets the hat that she realizes and finds out the name. 
Well, no, that's when. That's yes, you're correct. Okay. Didn't, didn't I thought Rod said no? Well, I don't think so. All right, but she's home at night in the bathtub. You can edit that part out. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> and she's home at night in the bathtub, singing the nursery rhyme, starting to fall asleep a little bit in the in nice bubble bath, and. Freddie's glove, as she's falling asleep, starts coming up right in between her legs. It's a very, uh, very invasive shot. Yes. The way they did this, though, they had a, a fake bathtub with the bottom out underneath a uh, swimming pool. Mm-hmm. So Freddie's glove comes out, but there's a knock on the door. Yeah. Come and mother, knock on my door. Come da, and da, knock da, on the door. We've been waiting for, for you. you. Da, 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 da. And we got the, the thing and the thing and the thing. Yeah. Three's company. Three's company. That, was the full, that was the full house version. <laughs> yeah. Uncle Jesse was trying to remember it. Exactly. Because Michelle wanted donkey, and that's the only way he would stop. Of going course. E-Hall. <laughs> E-Hall. Uh, and so Nancy's mother is trying to cheer up that she heat up some warm milk for her and hopefully to make Ew. her rest of Warm milk. Which is gross. What the fuck? Even as a child, I didn't like warm milk. I just wanted chill, uh, fridge cold milk. Ovaltine. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> I am quite tired. Nothing. I am very tired. In the words of young Frankenstein. Thank you, Frau Blucher. <laughs> <laughs> What's gotten into those horses? <laughs> and so Nancy's falling asleep at this point, and she's literally dragged into... She's pulled into the tub. And I, I don't know if this is a body double or not, because... I would... There's a part of me that would think so because it does involve holding someone underwater. Yeah. So. Uh, I'm sure if you go to MrSkin.com, you can find find out if that's a body double or not because there is some. That's a website? Yeah. It, no, it's MrSkin.com is a database of nude and sex scenes in movies. Yes. Okay, then. Uh-huh. <laughs> And that's why the joke in uh, Knocked Up is coming from where they they said they had that idea and then like that um, Paul, that um, Seth Rogen and his buddies have the idea to make that website, but it already exists. And they're like, okay, our chief uh, way of making a million dollars is gone now. <laughs> yeah. And so Nancy's able to wake up at the same time. That's when um, I love, I do love the ingenuity of the mother right here that she was able to use a coat hanger to pick the lock of the door. Mm. Um, and she's able to get inside and it's like, hey, are you okay? When Nancy's able to claw her way out of the bathtub and get out to safety. And it is kind of true. It's, she does bring up the statistic that hundreds of people die every year going in and out of a, yeah. of a bathtub. Well, what I find interesting about this as well is the fact that, like, Nancy's been attacked multiple times. And she pretty much realizes, like, she t- her only reaction when someone is around her is like, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. She pretty much knows no one can help her. No, yeah. She pretty much knows she's on her own at this point. Right. And, and like, how she she immediately starts to combat it because she takes the... the um, they have stay awake pills. Right. Because, I, I like, like, every fucking household has those. I want... I need fucking shit to fall asleep. Why would I want... The coffee you, machine is my stay awake I, pill. I was going to say, like, I, I guess it's a precursor to Adderall. Uh, my stay point. awake pill is just exist. <laughs> I can't sleep. Oh, that is true. Ugh. I, I mean, you can just imagine my voice. That'll put you to sleep real fast. Oh, God. No, <laughs> that, that keeps me awake. <laughs> but she's in her room, you know, staying up all night because she can't sleep, watching Evil Dead. And this is, I guess, is where the rivalry or the playful jabbing between Sam Raimi and Wes Craven starts to ramp up because in the Evil Dead, there's a torn poster of the Hills Have Eyes in the Basement of the Cabin. Kind of symbolizes, like, in Hills Have Eyes, there's a torn poster of Jaws saying, hey, this is scarier than Jaws. Evil Dead's like, this is scarier than Hills Have Eyes. And now Wes Craven's like, this is scarier than Evil Dead with A Nightmare on Elm Street. And so, um, 
She hears a noise outside. Yeah, <laughs> and, and goes to investigate, which at that point you'll be starting to wonder, would you answer? Would you go look? At this what? point. Yeah, <laughs> this particular wonder, like, point. Of all the strange things that's happened, would you really want to go investigate a strange noise? Uh, but she does. And luckily, it's just Glenn who's climbed up the side of his, her, her house. Luckily, it's just Billy. He wants to come and uh, he was just watching The Exorcist. Exorcist. Oh, wait. Then, wrong wrong. Wes Craven movie. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. Oh, I can't but believe yes. I, I, me- I messed that up. This is where Wes Craven's uh, um, thing of having boyfriends sneak in pretty much originated, Yeah, I believe, right? So, you know, she pulls Glenn in. And Glenn is trying to see, like, maybe he can get some tonight. I guess <laughs> that's what, he, that's what his, his, his hopes are anyway. However, Nancy has other plans where she asks, like, hey, I'm going to go to sleep. I want you to stay, stay in guard. and an experiment, sure. basically. Yeah. And if something weird happens to me while I'm asleep, Wake me up before you go go. She don't leave me hanging on like a solo. <laughs> but she sets her even sets her alarm clock just in case. Yes. And luckily she does. Luckily she does. She goes out, you know, for a nice little brisk walk. And this is I guess this is like where the str- strongest Halloween vibes come in. Because you you, because I I imagine just like cuz it's a steady cam shot walking through like a residential neighborhood in a California town and I get Halloween vibes from that moment right there. I don't think it's intentional. It could be subconscious right there, but I just get Halloween vibes from that. Well, what's interesting is how they kind of disguise that it's a dream because she says, if you see, just keep an eye on me, she basically tells him. So she's walking around the neighborhood area. Mm -hmm. She yells, Glenn, you there? He's like, yeah. So he's he's keeping an eye on her and he's keeping a distance. Yeah, you know. So she continues her, her little walk around the neighborhood. Finds a bunch of scary places. Goes to actually ends up in the uh, police station, and is outside looking into the the holding cell window where Rod is sleeping, and she sees Freddy fucking walk in. Yeah, like he opens the door and walks into the cell, and then walks through the bars. Yeah, very much like Patrick Swayze and Ghost kind of thing. Yep, that's how we know this is this is a fucking dream. Dream, but is it? So she she she's yelling for Glenn, you know. She looks away, but then she looks back, and Kruger's gone. Right. So and she looks, it, and it looked like he was grabbing the the blanket to do something with it. But however, he's gone now. Yep. When and Nancy she, turns around, that's when she sees Tina again. However, she's got centipedes coming out of her mouth, and she's standing in a co- pile of snakes, snakes, eels, something like that. Yep. That's when she knows. Oh fuck! I'm in a dream, and mm-hmm. she's calling for Glenn, but unfortunately, Glenn's not answering. So as she calls for him, Freddy attacks. Right. And then she goes running back to her house, and she throws his biggest deterrent at him uh, that slows him down, a garbage can. (laughs) Yes, she found his one weakness. Yes. She gets into her house. She's trying to go up the stairs, though, but her feet are sinking into it like quicksand. They did this by hollowing out, like, the steps with the carpet and putting in, like, bisquick. Yeah, and apparently Wes Kerman didn't want to do this. He He hated the idea, but, however, it was Bob Shea's idea and kind of, like, since Bob Shea was the money man on this, they had to go with it. And I think it's memorable. Yeah, it is a kind of – because you think of that idea of, like, this. you have certain tropes and dreams like that and being, like, subjected to kind of quicksand kind of vibe here and not able to run, it does play into that. However, when she looks over her shoulder as she's trying to escape it, the window to the front door is busted open. We see Tina's face, and it's torn away, and it's literally Freddy wearing Tina's face as a mask. We hear Tina's voice saying, save me from, and then it cuts to his Freddy. As That's when the we, face first away. time we hear Freddy's name there. Mm-hmm. 
So she managed to get upstairs, runs in the room. There's Glenn sleeping. Mm-hmm. You know, she looks at her mirror that's attached to the back of her door saying, this isn't a dream. It's just, this isn't real. It's just a dream. And Freddy dives through. Yeah. And that's another iconic shot of this movie is him diving through the mirror right yep. there. They are like fucking wrestling, struggling on, on her fucking bed. He picks her up, ready to fucking slash her, ready to go for the fucking kill. Yeah. She grabs a pillow to try and defend herself. He slices the pillow, yep, and all feathers the feathers come go flying, flying out. in the air. Do they still make feather pillows? I don't think so. It seems so impractical. Yeah. But as he's got her pinned down and feathers are falling, the alarm clock goes off. Glenn wakes up. She wakes up, you know, tossing and turning. They're kind of, like, frazzled at this point right here. Yep, very frazzled. She chews his fucking ass and says, you, you had one job, asshole. And you, and you like, you failed. Like, you, you failed. Like, and she calls him like a shit fool and slaps him for it. But like, God damn, you had, you only had one thing to do and you failed doing that, dude. But she hears her mother coming. So she rushes him out the window, but tells him, you know, stay there. So she goes back in her bed, pretends that fucking, you know, she's asleep. And, but however, when she's like, her mother uh, leaves. kind of leaves, that's when she notices a feather of the pillow kind of fly out the window through the, the breeze. And she realizes, oh, shit. That was real. Yeah. So her and Glenn rush to the police station. They get the, the sergeant, desk sergeant there to let them down. He gives them a little bit of trouble. And in Glenn's holding cell, we see what Freddy was going to do with the sheet. He, It's like wrapping around his neck like a snake. Yeah. Now, I believe they did this by shooting it in reverse, right? Yeah, they would have it completed. And it would, it would, I, I assume like maybe there's like a wire or like a hanger in there and they would just shoot in reverse and they would pull it off of him. And so you, when you play it back in regular motion, it looks like it's wrapping around his neck, much like how the vines were done in the original Evil Dead. Now this is intercut with her arguing with her father about going to see Rod. So finally he, he agrees. But just as he does, that's when the, the bed sheet really just yanks him out of the bed, up the wall, out the window, and fucking snaps his neck. They yeah. get in just too, just a second too late. They, they, they just see him flailing about and neck snap. And so from the cop's perspective, they think... He's committed suicide. He's committed suicide. And kind of like... It's kind of like the final nail in, in that case because he's like, he just committed suicide because he felt the guilt of being caught of of this... Killing his girlfriend. Uh, killing his girlfriend. Yep. And another thing that's a reoccurring scene that happens in many of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies is we're actually seeing a funeral. And that's the one thing most slasher movies don't do, is that most slasher movies take place in like a 48-hour period it, and most. Very often the same night. Oh, yeah, or even a 24-hour period. So you don't have the grieving process in a yeah, movie. You don't really have an aftermath. You just have like when the kills happen. Yeah, and that's it. And you stop him by the end of the movie or he disappears. Mm-hmm. And so they are leaving the funeral, and Nancy is, like, trying to describe who this person looks like and what the who she's dreaming about. And she describes of a burnt man in a sweater. And, and a weird hat and knives for fingers. And this is when both both of her parents kind of react to her, like, oh, no. Like, they know who this fucking person is. But they're not saying. Not saying shit. So... And John Saxon just like, hey, just get her home so she can get some rest. But Marge is like, no. She's got a better idea. Yeah. She's got to, she's got to take her to Toontown to visit Roger Rabbit. <laughs> yes, because we go to a sleep, sleep clinic. Sleep clinic, yeah. And we, uh, Dr. King, played by Charles Fleischer, most famously known for playing Roger Rabbit. Nobody gets the drop on Roger Rabbit. Yeah. Clonk. And we were just imagining we were spitballing what a fight between uh, Freddy, Roger Rabbit and Freddy, Freddy Krueger would, would look be. like. And it more I'm p- reciting his lines in Roger Rabbit's voice. Yes. Now there's no sign of pathology in her EET. 
I guess that's what we have here is a normal girl who happens to have gone through two days of hell. She's, she's caught in a nightmare, which later morphed into uh, um, something I was doing at the end of the movie that you were ready to kill me for, that I was singing uh, the works of Iron Maiden in the voice oh my uh, God. of Roger, Roger Rabbit. Rabbit. <laughs> that was all I could stand, I couldn't stand no more. Run to the hills! <laughs> and that's when you were running for your life was, out of the room. I was running for my life, but... <laughs> You know, they hook her up to all the machines. I've had this, these sleep tests done before. Really? I didn't know that. Yeah, that's how they prescribe my CPAP machine. Oh, shit. I've, done, I've had that. it done several times where they hook so much fucking shit up on you. Just trying to roll over was difficult because I had to worry about being choked by all these wires. I, I'm just saying, like, does that automatically just add stress to trying to relax to go to sleep there? It doesn't help. And the thing, though, too, is, like, I know I'm being fucking watched. I know I'm being, like, monitored. So it's like, I, I feel uncomfortable. The bed was all right, you know, but like, I had me, like, I need, I need to be refrigerated when I sleep. Right. I, I, I will still use my air conditioner in late October. Yes. It's just because it, even in like the middle of December, even when we had like those sub zero temperatures, I would still have my window open a crack. Yeah. Just because I need that. Right. And, and somebody who's always cold, it's always kind of a, a little bit of a battle whenever we hang out because I'm just like, all right. Well, you always tell me, no, don't turn off the AC. Yeah, because I'm in I'll your- I'll freeze to death. I'm like, I'm in your home, so I don't want to inconvenience you. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be the rude guest like that. And so- No, you just fucking sing Iron Maiden like Roger Rabbit. <laughs> I'd rather have my AC off than hear that shit. <laughs> Yes, but like, uh, like you. If Miles him. Dyson were a seal, he would laugh <laughs> like Tim. <laughs> oh my God, you're turning blue! <laughs> oh my God, Violet, you're turning violet, Violet. You're turning violet, Violet. <laughs> but yes, she's dreaming, and she apparently falls asleep faster than I do because they would. <laughs> I remember they told me like I would, I would stop breathing every forty-five minutes. Oh no! Yeah, so. Uh, Jesus. Yeah. And so it seems like... I still can't sleep well. No. Even with a fucking mechanical face hugger attached to my... I want to get a fucking CPAP mask cover that's shaped like a face hugger. Where, like, the tail is the hose. I'm sure there's got to be some kind of custom... Oh, I've seen them. Oh, they do exist? I've seen them. They do exist. Oh, oh my God. I want them. Badly. I want them. I want to bring them over to someone's house when I sleep over and not tell them. I just have them them walk in while I'm sleeping. Like, oh, my God! What the fuck? (laughs) Like, I want to cover it like the little, like, slime coating that they use and just have it wrap the tail around the neck and just lay there face down. I mean, lay their face up, like, and just like, I, 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 you gotta have the fake egg next to you as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh no, no, no! Fuck that! Don't let them know where the egg came from. Oh my god! <laughs> let them think that this thing's been wandering around the house all night. Jesus Christ! <laughs> anyway, and so it seems like she's gone. She's gone full REM sleep at this yep. point here. She's in it- REM sleep. She's losing her religion. <laughs> Fuck you, you can make puns. I can make puns, too. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you start making puns, it's the end of the world as we know it. Um, <laughs> it's like it- pushing an elephant up the stairs. <laughs> and what is, we're just men on the moon right now, right here. It's, it is the end of the world as we know it. <laughs> and I, I feel fine. Uh, but Nancy doesn't feel fine, that's damn sure. No, he, like when she gets into REM sleep, he was saying that like a nightmare would be like a plus five. Like pretty much a nightmare would be unlikely at that point. Yeah. But she starts tossing and turning. The fucking EKG's needles are going fucking ape shit. And so, like, it's like plus 30 at this point. Oh, yeah. The doctor has no idea what the hell's going wrong. Like, like, like the, the goddamn... It's off the charts. Yeah. It's off the fucking charts. She's I, screaming. So he finally... Roger Rabbit finally gets up and hits her over the head with a frying pan. <laughs> and that's when she sees stars. Look! Stars! stars! Ready, Ready when you are, Raul? 
I, I want to intercut this scene with the uh, monitor sleep here with Robocop when he's having the nightmare mm-hmm. <laughs> with the same machines hooked up to him. But when she wakes up, fucking like a streak of her fucking hair, like right above her forehead is now gray. There's yeah, a she's slash gone, on her arm. She's gone full rogue at this point right here. She just got her powers from uh, uh, Captain Marvel at this point. Yeah, her fucking arm has been slashed. She tries to give her something to grow asleep, but she just pushes him away. Yeah. And she hits him over the head with a frying pan. <laughs> because and he's he looking at her with a giant syringe. I do the same thing. And he sees a tweeting bird. <laughs> and that's where the real kicker of the scene is because she, underneath the comforter, she pulls out that. A Freddy's dirt, hat! A Freddy's, Freddy's <laughs> Oh my god, where'd you get that? <laughs> I bet she's stars, not hats. Stars! We lose the playback, please! <laughs> I can do it now! Don't worry about me! I'm not worried about you, Roger! I'm worried about the refrigerator! I'm worried about the hat! <laughs> But she even says, like, where'd you get this? Like, I grabbed it off his head. And this is why... Everybody's stunned. Even And Ronnie Blakely, uh, Marge, at this point, realizes she needs a shitload more fucking vodka. Yeah, yeah <laughs> and, and, and that's why, like, you, you hear Marge Simpson, Simpson's going... Mm-hmm. So Nancy's home. She's bandaged. She comes down. And she hears her mother talking over the fucking phone. Yeah, and then immediately hangs up because you automatically know she's talking about uh, Nancy like she, right there. So she grabbed her dream. I don't know where the hell she got it. But right. She, yeah, she comes in, grabs coffee. Yeah. And coffee, she's making friends with it right there. Yep. And I know, this is the most New York we're going to sound that when we pronounce coffee. Coffee. Yeah, coffee, water, drawer, yeah. Um, could be ha- worse, you could be from Boston. Oh, yeah. Boston. Yeah, Boston. Like the chowder. <laughs> chowder. It's chowder. It's chowder. I'll kill, I'll kill you. you. I'll kill you all. Say it again, Frenchie. Chowder. It's chowder. <laughs> <laughs> Wait. Come back. I'm not done mocking you. Yep. So her and her mother have a nice big fucking argument. Yeah. Saying that Rod didn't kill Tina. It was this guy. You fuckers know something. And his name is in his hat. It's called, his name was Fred Krueger. Yep. However, the mother will, will not acknowledge him whatsoever. And then she's saying that he's dead. Yep, she knows something's being hidden. She doesn't trust anybody at this point. No. And this is when uh, uh, Marge is, it is all blatantly drinking out of the vodka bottle right here in front of her. And as uh, somebody who's dealt with uh, an alcoholic in the family, uh, akin to this, it, it, it does strike a chord with me seeing this. Oh, yeah. uh, she, she gets nasty with her mother, say, saying, like, oh, maybe I should just do it like you. Just, you know, get loaded right up, get good and loaded. And that's when her mother slaps her in the face. For yeah. Her. And she tells her, Fred Krueger can't come after you. He's dead. He's dead. And when Nancy's like, the once is pressing her for more information, but that's when Marge is like, who shuts up quick and tries to take another drink out of the bottle. And, for, and that's when Nancy rips the bottle from Marge's hand and smashes on the hand, screw, declaring, screw sleep! Screw sleep! But she's fucking, Nancy's fucking pissed now because she knows, it. she said, even says to her mother, you knew his name this whole time. Yeah. The whole time? The whole time? The, 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 the whole time? The whole time? Yeah. No, not at any time. Only when it was funny. Come on, Eddie. Where'd you find the humor? Uh, for those. You mean you know who the killer was this whole time? No, not any time. Only when it was funny. Only when it was funny. (laughs) And so the. uh, Her and Glenn go for a nice walk. Yeah, on the, I think the same location where Cobra has his car chase through where he's trying to protect, uh, Mrs. Uh, Sylvester Stallone. Yeah. Future Mrs. Sylvester Stallone. before, wouldn't it be nice just to see a car fly by them? Because the arch bridge is over, like, the uh, rivers that run through L.A. But they start talking, and and, and I kind of feel like this scene is really 
underutilized for how important the payoff is later. That where you feel Glenn, like it should, the, the the message or the lesson in part here should be underlined more. Definitely, because Glenn is talking about like things he's read about like people dreaming and how and, and dreaming in other cultures here. dreaming in other cultures how you got to turn the energy of the monster in your dreams back on you yeah. says, she says what happens if you don't do it well i guess people don't, wake, don't up. wake up to tell what happens but you claim the energy you've been feeding the monster yeah and that's something that west craven's thinking about he was thinking you're reading a lot of like buddhist uh literature and everything and a lot of eastern philosophy and that's the one thing i really miss about west craven the filmmaker then that he's no longer with us is that he was a very thoughtful person that yes, he made some very violent movies and some of it could be kind of, I don't want to say not salacious or like not exploitive or anything, but you you could argue maybe less has on the left, but he wasn't doing for simply shock value that he was trying to push himself as a storyteller. And that's something I just really commend him for and just wish he was still around doing that. Yeah. But she see he, Glenn sees that she, uh, she's reading something. It's uh, it was booby traps and anti personnel devices. Yeah. All right, I kind of feel like this is a little bit of a hokey thing. No, but he that's he legitimately was going to found that exact book in a, like an army surplus store. But it's like she just had it on her. It's like maybe if you had something in the beginning where it's like, oh, I got my you know Girl Scout meeting, or, or and we're going to learn how to build this today, or or, or, or show or, the scene where she's going to buying that book, or something where like her father was in the military before he became a cop, and you know, like she knows her how to, to do be all pr- this stuff. protect herself or something like that. Something like like maybe in the beginning when they're worried about like when they're at Tina's house and they're worried about you know some creepy person. He says, oh, "Don't worry, I'll just wire this thing up." Like, yeah, oh, some you know kind all of this shit. Well, yeah, some father, kind of. I'm a bit of a military brat, you know. Yeah. It's just she just has a book about booby traps. You can know? argue the same thing about Home Alone. Then how does Kevin pull off all those kind of traps near the end? Like we have no real setup that he he's other than like he's able to manipulate sound systems to fool people thinking there's a gunfight going on in his house. Well, I mean, at the same time too, it's like you you kind of see like he's got this big house. His father's into all these different like projects. Apparently, he's got like tools and shit downstairs. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take much stretch of the imagination to put a fucking knife through like a piece of like fucking. What sandpaper or whatever? Yeah, and, and uh, no, a nail. Put the sandpaper and then fucking tar, tar it, and then like use like your driveway tar to fucking Ooh. do the stairs. You and know, that's still most uncomfortable. The like, most painful thing in the world is seeing Marv step on that nail. Even that like squishing noise the, it makes, and that ah! you know, it doesn't take a stretch of the imagination to put all your pointy Christmas ornaments right next to an open window. Yeah, to fucking put a wet hose in the middle of winter down your steps so yeah. it freezes. I mean, yeah, the fucking Rube Goldberg blowtorch with the door thing. Okay, that's one thing. What the fuck is your father doing with the blowtorch like that? Yeah. You know. I mean, the anti-personnel uh, displays like she's preparing, like she's ready to be invaded by the American government or something like that is a little bit like, wondering, like what kind of literature do you read on the, on the reg? Yeah, and even Glenn says, like, you're, you're starting to fucking scare me. <laughs> Which, like, if you found, like, somebody else is, like, militarizing themselves, I think I'd be kind of scared as well. Yeah. However, when Nancy returns home, thinks she's going to be safe, um... There's bars all over the windows. Yeah. Like, like it's like the house in the alternate 1985 and Back to the Future 2. It's, like, all, suddenly all, like, the, the rose bushes and uh, the rose, like, vines that, that go up the side of the house have been torn down and replaced with barred windows. Yeah. The rose trellis is still laying on the floor. It has been, you know, laying on the floor. They took it down. The one that uh, Glenn used to climb up to her window, so he can't get in there anymore. 
uh, the father took it down and just, you know, left it down there. She's screaming for her mother. Her mother's fucking smoking and drinking. Yeah. Her mother just walks in set like something that, like, I don't even know if that's a dream at that point. The way she just, like, walks in. Dramatic. Stops. Dramatically. Extends her arm. Bends it. Puts the cigarette to her mouth. And then lights, lights it. it. It's so weird. So she says, mother, what are you doing this for? Security. Yeah. But her mom also says, come down this cellar with me and, and I'll tell you. Yeah. And it's just like seeing drunk mom in a, in a bathrobe and still in pajamas is trying to tell you a story and everything. Uh, yeah. It was just like, uh, it is kind of still uncomfortable to watch here. But is this a dream? <laughs> yeah. And, and we get the explanation of who Fred Krueger was. Is and- this a dream or is it no? We find I out that Fred Krueger was a, a child murderer. Yeah. However, when the warrants were initially um, done up for the legal search of his uh, premises that found all the evidence, it was done improperly, and he was released on his own recognizance. The charges were dropped. Yep. So what do the parents do? They they decide to go some vigilante justice and track him down to the boiler room where you take his victims to. They tied him up, lead a gasoline trail outside there. And light them up. Mm-hmm. And as a souvenir token, she we see that she's reaching into their furnace. She pulls out, you know, something in like this little like burlap, this tiny burlap sack. It's his fucking glove knife. Yeah. That thing was actually fucking real. Yeah. That murder she- weapon was actually real. And Nancy, like for a minute, like almost gets fucking sick. Right. But that, the, the mother is doing this to assure her that it's okay. That there's nothing to be afraid of, that he's dead. He can't hurt you anymore. But... We know differently. Now, wasn't there – I may be confusing this with either the remake or something else, but wasn't there something where she had, like, a brother and the brother was one of the – in some original draft, the, she had a brother and the brother was was their child that was killed? Like, oh, so that was extremely personal for her because it was – It was uh, pretty uh, personal for their family. A kin was killed mm-hmm. by him. Um, I do not know. It could have been something that is part of the remake. I have not seen. I might have fucking just imagined it. I don't know, but I. You wouldn't be surprised. Comments. Yeah, and and like throughout the sequels, we meet more parents that were connected with this vigilante act. It might have even been. It's been so long since I've watched Never Sleep Again, but because it's a four-hour fucking documentary. Yeah, but I think it's only dwarfed by Crystal Lake Memories. Oh shit! Wasn't that like an eight-hour documentary? Something like that. Yeah, but. That was kind of always – I kind of feel like they should have put that in there because they said a bunch of us parents, like, you had no dog in this fight, you know? It's like your your husband is is the is in, in the police. He may not have been a lieutenant by then. Right. But he's someone that's going to be keeping an eye on this motherfucker. He's mm-hmm. not someone that, like, you know, you, you're just going to be sitting there worried about your kid going to school or whatever and there's nothing you could do. Because you got like it's his job to make sure everyone's kid is safe, right? So and if you know it's this person, you as a cop, you're going to be, you, you're, you're going to as a cop, you're going to be the law abiding person. You're going to be the person dissuading vigilante justice because you have the power to follow this guy, catch him in the act if you need to again, and bust him and put him away. And just the simple fact that like he was found proven, but because of that technicality, you fucking got his ass, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, you got everything you need. All you got to do is – that's why I feel like it sh- should have been a brother because if it wasn't, if they were just a parent who knew the kids got killed, you got no personal dog in this fight. Mm-hmm. And because you're a member of the police force, you are one of the people that can prevent this from ever happening again right. without but, vigilante justice. But I think, like, you can argue the fact that, like, the law has failed you 
So I mean, it's best to take the law in your own hands. With me, that's how he's able to justify it. I, I don't just because like the law failed you then, but the law may not fail you. You may get this guy will give you a second chance. Yeah, this guy's one of those people that'll give you a fucking second chance. And who the fuck knows? Maybe because he's been found out and it's been publicized so much. That's another thing that you really don't explore. That I'm really just thinking of right now. I, I know the first episode of Phrase Nightmares is his origin, mm-hmm. and like it opens up with him in court. Is Alice with Cooper, the, his stepfather. No, but like he's in court where the charges. Like he's sitting at the stand, but that's when the charges are dropped when they realize the technicality. But he's sitting there in court in the sweater in doing his testimony, and like. Nobody wears something like that to court. He would have been at least in a cheap suit. He wouldn't well, be wearing his his red uh, green sweater while well, testifying. Well, they said it was a highly publicized case. So, like, anywhere this fucking guy goes, he's going to be watched by everybody. Yeah. Yeah, I know parents will want revenge, and some of them may try to take it. Mm-hmm. But, like, I don't know. I, I, I don't buy into Nancy's family joining in in vigilante justice without them having some emotional stake in it. Like, you killed my fucking kid and you got away with it. I'm going to join in with everyone else whose kid died and I'm going to fucking get you. And because I'm a member of the police force, I can help keep it Mm hush-hush. I can help make it look like it was something else. Yeah, that was an accident. Yeah. Oh, his boiler room caught fire because it was a fucking boiler room and the equipment was faulty and he's dead. And oh, well. I filled out the police report, so I'm on the up and up. Yeah. You know. And so... After the explanation of what happened, we cut to Glenn, who's, like, sleeping in his... Uh, sleeping in his rotating room. Spoilers. No. Spoilers. <laughs> he gets a phone call from Nancy saying that, um, hey, I need you to do me a favor that in, like, at midnight, call me um, and make sure everything's going to be okay. And whatever you do, don't fall asleep. Sleep. Yes. Have a little lighthearted talk since they can't really come see each other anymore. Right. I know uh, uh, she's looking out the window, and there's Glenn's father, you know, fucking uh, Joe Sixpack, drinking his fucking beer. Yeah. Just just staring at her. And like, he's glaring at her and judging her, thinking that, that the whole family is full of kooks, and he doesn't want his son uh, associating with her. Mm-hmm. Like, a mom goes and checks on him. Uh, you know, her mom takes the, <laughs> takes the fuck, puts her to bed. She's prote- various coffee cups and coffee, coffee pots. pots. She's trying to reassure her mom, okay, you're right, Fred Krueger's dead, he can't yeah. hurt me. So she tucks her in, she lays there, and Nancy immediately pulls another coffee pot. Which is one wor- of the- Working, functioning, running at the time coffee pot with the little light on, which which probably would be fucking burning your ass yeah. which from is, under your bed. Which is apparently another idea from the Cambodian immigrants that where he ha- one of them had a working coffee pot in their uh, closet. So in order to stay awake as long as possible. So Nancy gets out of her, you know, clothes. She changes. And yeah. we, get, we get a little side boob. Yes, because 80 slasher movie. 80 slasher, but she has her back turned. She takes off her shirt. It's basically done much like Nev Campbell in um, Scream. Mm-hmm. And so, and even like uh, a... That's it, when we get John Joe Sixpack fucking... Yeah, and Glenn's parents is, is, is like... And I, I like that Glenn's mother is, is like... Concern for both of them, and she's much more forgiving of how Nancy's behavior has been acting. But, like, the father is very dismissive. He doesn't want anything to do with him. And so Nancy dresses up like she's Sarah Connor in the beginning of The Terminator. Yep. She's ready to, to go somewhere. Right. But the... But her mom <laughs> is fucking smuggling alcohol in, in the linen closet. Which is a real thing alcoholics will do. I know. Homer Simpson used to keep his duff beer in the in the top of the toilet. Yes. 
And I'm just magic. I'm thinking back to Black Christmas when the the dead mother. Oh was, god, the dead mother. She like hollowed out a large book and it had the bo- a bottle pressed in there. Yep. And her, and her mother is drinking this thing right in the fucking hallway. She's not even gonna make herself a glass. Just... Nope. Not so, mixing with anything. Yep. So she tries calling Glenn again. Yeah. But Glenn is fast asleep with the fucking his little TV on his chest. With, yeah. With his headphones on, but the parents pick up. And the mother kind of wants to, you know, placate this. However, the father has has having none of this. Takes yep. the phone from the mother. Says you're gonna have to talk to Glenn tomorrow. Hangs up. He's like, we just have to be t- firm Ar- with these children. Not Archie Bunker. Yeah, <laughs> they gotta be firm with these kids. And he he keeps the phone. Uh, Stanley Shelfie, we gotta be firm with these children. He keeps the phone off the hook. Yeah, that, that's not gonna backfire anyway. Gotta be firm with these children because those were the days. Yeah. So she's calling. She's desperate, desperately trying to get in touch. She's worried. Right. Worried off her fucking gourd. But the phone rings, and she answers it, and just hears the, the screeching noises of Freddy's glove against metal. She rips, so, and, and like that, she freaks out, put, hangs the phone up, rips it out, but rips the cord out. Yeah, and, and like, now the phone and is now broken. it's completely frayed, and it's unusable at that point. Yep, saying, what if Glenn tries to call? She's looking to see, she looks out the hallway door, her mother's gone, but, but as she turns around, the fucking disconnected phone starts ringing. And it's wrapped up with the cord here, and that's just a really creepy image of a phone not connected to anything that's ringing. I love the music sting, because yeah. it wasn't like, it wasn't your typical cheap jump scare. Yeah. It's, you know that this is not supposed to be. Yeah. And this is now heightening your fucking weirdness and fear. Right. And then she goes to, she slowly answers Slowly the phone, goes to check it. And then she says, hello. And we, in another famous moment here is where we hear. I'm your boyfriend now. And the, the phone has been transformed into Freddy's mouth. The, the, the mouthpiece receiver transforms into Freddy's mouth and his tongue starts. Like trying to, like French, French kiss her. Jinx. Uh, jinx. Know me another beer. God damn it. <laughs> uh, I think. Heather Landing Clamp owns the one of those. If not her, Wes Craven did. Owns a, one the original copy yeah. of that. But she throws the phone to the ground, stomps on it, and then all of a sudden realizes my my boyfriend. My boyfriend. And she knows, oh fuck, Glenn's been targeted. Right, and then she tries to run out the front door. However, there's a new deadbolt on it. Yeah. That requires a key to open. I know my uh, my friend Kristen has one of those because her son has autism, mm-hmm. and they have to keep all the doors in the house locked at all times. So every time they want to open the front door from within, they need a key. Oh wow. Yeah, because he. he, he he, he can wander off. He and can wander off. Um, and so and she, she tries and to get the mo- the, yep. fo- the key from her mother, but the mother is very far gone. Very through. drunk, and she says she doesn't have it. Yeah, she has no idea where the hell it is. So we see Glenn in bed. And you know, sleep. Fast asleep. We get a very slow zoom, zoom out. out. And, oh. oh. He's pulled into the bed He's here. pulled into deathbed has, has the bed that eats or whatever. Yeah. Arms come out. Freddy's arms come out from the center of the bed from, like, behind his body, pull him down into it. And this is when we get our second rotating room special effect. They rebuilt Glenn's room in the rotating room they used for Tina's death scene earlier. And they have a fucking... It, it's the fucking river of slime from Go- Ghostbusters. They have nothing but blood just pouring out. Yeah, and like so, a water tower exploded. And the funny thing is, like upside in, down in the like it's cut around with this because when they originally shot it, so everybody's upside down because the room's been rotated except for the camera operator who's locked down with it. He's locked. He's locked into a seat along with Wes Craven who's next to him. Um, the the liquid of the blood is filtered out and it hits one of the lights in the set, and that all of a sudden. Sparks fly out from the the lamp that's in the room, and everything just goes dark. 
And so now they have exposed a wire and what and is liquid everywhere. So and they're upside down right now. And so he and so Wes Craven, the camera operator, just hearing people shuffling about and shouting, trying to get the set back rotate over. So now they're just they're stuck upside down, covered in blood, and just like, okay, hopefully we can get this set not electrified and flip us back around because this is very uncomfortable and we're starting to get sick now. Luckily, nobody was hurting there. Yes, nobody was hurting to make it. But you can see like. The bed sheet that's like down, you could see the blood like dripping from when they stopped pulling it through, like yeah, dripping so the upwards of it, yeah, of it. from the gravity of it, because the camera is still mounted to the, the what the is supposed itself. to be the bottom of the set itself. Mm-hmm. So its perspective never changes. Mm-hmm. But and it's it's it, it's probably one of the most iconic horror movie scenes ever. Yeah, and it was cut down a little bit because Johnny Depp's body was supposed to shoot out of it. Covered in blood, like there was like no wounds on him. He was just covered in blood, like he was gonna pop out of the hole, and then he's face face plants on the bed. That was the they even they originally shot. You could probably find that in deleted scenes. Mm. But Craven thought it'd be creepier. We never saw his body again. Never we, saw what happened. Yeah, we just it leaves us in the imagination of the audience to see how he died. Yeah, but uh, you know, Lieutenant Saxon arrives. Yes, with uh, Bruce Lee is not in tow. Unfortunately, Bruce Lee has passed away. So, yes. it's going to take it's going to take everybody to stop this guy because mm-hmm. Bruce Lee could totally kick Freddy Krueger's ass. Yes, um, when Freddy Krueger checks his closet at night, he checks it for Bruce Lee. <laughs> I hated those Chuck. Those got so fucking old. Those Chuck Norris jokes. Yes. Oh God, and Chuck Norris is a lunatic. Yeah, he is a joke. So. Anyway, uh, but. Yeah, the police are there. Lieutenant John Saxon arrives. The, the the paramedics pull up. They pull up the stretcher, and you hear somebody ADR'd off screen, like a cop's up saying, you ain't going to need a stretcher. You're going to need a mop. And it's really settled the fact that when Nancy's calling out for her father and everything, who just kind of, like, acknowledges her and goes in the house, and one of the cops on the first floor of the house is putting out buckets because... Like, like the fucking roof is leaking, and it's he- raining. Because the blood, blood is just pouring out from through the ceiling. It's seeping through it. Yeah, fucking Glenn's father even like looks at it and goes, like, oh, God. Like, he puts his hand over his mouth and walks away. They ask where the coroner is. It's like, the coroner's been the John Pukin ever since he got here. Yeah. <laughs> just think of Tommy Boy. The new guy is puking his guts out going, wah, <laughs> Only because you want to save a few extra dollars. Was it Tommy Boy or Black Sheep when he when he's, I think it was Black Sheep when he's on stage with, like, the rap group and he's trying it's to Black get... Sheep. Yeah, he's hyping up his politician brother. Everyone's cheering it and finally yells, Kill Whitey! Like, no, don't say that. <laughs> and like, I, that's, I think it was Rob Lowe was his brother in that? Or was it Tim Matheson? I think it was Rob Lowe. Okay, because I always mistake the two of them. Oh my God, so easy too. I know. And I, and so it was like, like I, Chris, you're supposed to do help me. You're trying to help me out. Then you yell, Kill Whitey? Oh. I just love when he's stapling up the flyers in the forest. They get <laughs> he's the, stapling his hands. <laughs> Ah! Chris Farley was great. I miss Chris Farley. I know. He's rolling down the hill. Oh, God. <laughs> and I remember SNL did this tribute to both Phil Hartman and Chris Farley together. And I think it's the last uh, Phil Hartman segment where it's it's Chris Farley dressed up as his um, down the river character. And he's sleeping. He's, he's falling asleep as Phil Hartman's singing him a lullaby. And it's just the one spotlight when they're on the center stage as... As he like rocks him to sleep, and he goes to sleep, and they he just wave Phil Harmon waves at the camera when he's done singing the song, and it fades out. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, SNL, you're trying to make me cry right now because I both miss Phil Harmon and Chris Farley. You'll have plenty of time to live in a van down by the river when you're living in a van down by the river. And but 
after the river My of blood. My name is Matt Foley. <laughs> I am 35 years old. I am divorced. And I live in a van down by the river. But speaking of... Here's you. Here's Matt. There's you. There's... <laughs> How can we get back on the right track? I'm just going to... Get the world! <laughs> Rack it down and wrap it up and put it in my pocket. Oh. R.I.P. Chris Farley. R.I.P. Chris Farley. And Phil Hartman. And Phil Hartman. But, anywho. Yeah. Uh, uh, speaking of River of Blood, um, Nancy uh, calls her father over at Glenn's house and tries to say, I'm going to get the guy, I'm going to find the guy who did it. Like, but the father doesn't still believe her. He's like, just tell me who is it. I'll go get him. He's like, it's Fred Krueger. And he's like, yeah, sure. It's still blowing her off. However... And he says, be over here in 20 minutes. He says, I'm going to make a proposition. This guy's coming for me. Yeah. He's going to come for me next. And you be here in 20 minutes. I want you to be there to arrest him. And he says, yeah, sure, fine, fine, fine. He yeses her in order to get her off the phone. And Nancy's like, all right, fine. I'm going to do what I have to do. And John kind of, like, sort of agrees with by telling the, his uh, second command to keep an eye on the house, make sure nothing screwy goes on mm -hmm. over at her house. He says, watch it. Now she starts building all these, like, Booby traps and shit. She builds all these in 20 minutes, which I, I don't know. 10 minutes. 10 minutes. That's because true. Because she has 10 minutes of the dream. Yeah. Somehow she managed to pull that off where she builds all this shit in 10 minutes. With in the power of a montage, you can do anything. I know. You could fucking train to fight Russians in Russia. Yes. Using using just the primitive wilderness while yes. he's taking steroids and using high-tech uh, technology. High-tech technology. And as we know, if I can change, you, you can change, everyone can change. And then the Cold War ended yes. in world peace. I, I do want next time I go hiking. Maybe that's what we need right now. We just Rock. need we just need Sylvester Stallone to go beat a big Russian boxer. Oh no! Like we we and use peace will be. We, Stallone making uh, re relations to other nations. It, it works perfectly. Just look at Rambo Last Blood. Exactly. <laughs> it's uh, sad too because I wanted to see that because I, I, I love I, the Rambo. I, I kind of want to see it too, but I'm like, do I want to justify that? Like, give him that money. <sighs> I don't know. When it come, becomes free with Prime? I guess. But um, with the part of the booby traps that we have, we have a light bulb that's been hollowed out with filled with uh, shotgun uh, powder. Yeah, right in where the filament is and everything. So uh, we, we have a sledgehammer connected to a door string. With uh, a coat hanger. We got trip wires. Trip wires. Um, and many other things. And so Nancy does the sensible thing by putting her mother to bed. Yeah. She basically... Gives her mother some something, to, some water. Put yeah, her to bed. It, it, like the roles reversed here, where the the, the child has become the the kind of the son becomes thing. the father. The, the father, father becomes, becomes the son. On the then the planet Krypton. Planet Krypton. Sorry, that's still it's the still planet bomb. Krypton. When the father becomes the son, and then the son. Do I really gotta read this shit? <laughs> Giant cue cards just right yeah, next yeah. to the camera. If you do me this favor, Kalo, and bring our civilization with you. And I will take care of you. At that, at that time, may never come. I may call upon you to do whatever the fuck it was. The line was. I don't know. I'm reading it off the kid's diaper. For fuck's sake. Yeah, we, he did have the lines of dialogue taped to... Taped to the baby Superman's baby, diaper. Baby Superman's diaper. I can't believe it. And so... I have a Native American woman come out and accept the award. Uh, accept the award for the Godfather. I don't want it. And so in Nancy becomes the maternal figure here by putting her mother to sleep here. And that's where her mother kind of like confesses like, shit, you were right. Like, yeah. I was wrong. Like, I, I was wrong. I should have listened. But like, and, and she even says how like she's proud of her for like, fi you face things. That's your nature. Yeah. She always goes headphone into it. And she never runs from it. Mm -hmm. And so 
the mo- the mom tries to like she thinks she's gonna have another drink, but she puts it away. Very much like Bob Hoskins in uh, yeah. Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Instead, instead of you know, instead of pouring it out, she just puts it. Aside. Yeah, she's pouring it out, shooting the bottle. She puts it aside, goes yeah. to sleep. Now that's the funny part. It's like she's putting her mother to sleep, but you kind of know that sleep isn't the greatest idea, right? No, it kind of backfires later. I mean, I mean, well, I guess her mother will be asleep eventually if she yeah. passes out, but she. Nancy gets into bed, gets into pajamas, and she does the Lord's Prayer before bed, bed. you know. Now I lay me down to sleep, sleep. Uh, yada, yada, yeah. sold to sleep, wake. Yeah. And sets the timer on her watch for 10 minutes. Yes, and but now it's it's talking. She's apparently, she apparently has the first, uh, what is it, Apple Watch? Yeah. Because it was talking. Yeah, I, I guess it's just for dramatic um, um, license in order to really sell the point of the home. Like, oh, we have 10 minutes on the clock here. Yep. Try but and find Freddy. As she's laying in the bed, she starts thinking of the lines from that conversation her and Glenn had back in the scene on the little bridge. Mm-hmm. I feel it's important where talking about how do they deal with it. They turn their back on it, take away its energy, and it disappears. Yes. And then eventually, and that's kind of her game plan. Mm-hmm. So she transitions back in. She finally does fall asleep, and we end up in her house as she, as she makes her way down into the basement, which leads to... Nonchalantly walking down the stairs, mm-hmm. you know. For a moment, you might think, okay... Is, is she asleep? Because everything seems to be normal here. However, when she investigates the, the furnace, furnace, the glove's gone. The gloves are gone. She hears a door creaking, and apparently she had a secret Batcave passage in her basement the whole time. Only <laughs> you don't need a Shakespeare bust in order to open it. Oh, yes. Uh, a Shakespeare bust or or, or a, a aquarium in the shape of your own mansion <laughs> with with an Iron Maiden device. Yes. That, Again, Iron Maiden. What the fuck? <laughs> I'm going to have to listen to Iron Maiden on the way home. And so she goes further and further into the boiler room looking In, for Into Kruger. the Axis Chemicals boiler room because yes. it's complete with fucking catwalks and everything. Yeah. <clears throat> and there's no Commissioner Gorin looking around going, oh, Hey, if you can get up on the catwalk. There's no Pat Hingle either from Suspiria or... But as she's investigating, she starts she's finding things that belong to her friends. She finds Tina's crucifix. Totems of her... Of their totems of her deceased friends, but Freddie's stalking her. We see him like around the corner. We see his glove on a pipe, slowly going away. You know, in focus, and then it cuts to her. Well, that it refocuses on her when it does. Yeah, a rack focus between what's in the foreground, what's in the background, and reverse. The thing is about the characterization of Freddie in this movie versus the sequels. Freddie does not have a lot of dialogue in this. He's not a chatty person. It's one even like in Nightmare on Elm Street two, he has more dialogue. Mm But it's not really until Nightmare Three where he really starts to ham it up and like he's got the one-liners and it, the series ran with it at that yep. point where it's like an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. As she keeps investigating, she finds uh, Glenn's headphones and then finally gets pissed off. Challenges Kruger, looks at her watch. He appears. There's a chase, and she's at the top of some like level. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't know how to describe the layout because it's yeah. constantly changing. But she jumps off this ladder to get away from him and lands outside her house. Yeah, into the rose bushes that are that have been torn down. The, where, the, where the, yeah, where the trellis is. And now the voice Kruger's disappeared. The voice on her watch is counting down the last ten seconds. And finally, he appears on the rose bush, and she dives on him. Yeah, and he ta- tackles her. And he, last ditch effort. Yeah, grabs hold of him, and she wakes up. But he's gone. And she pulled part of the trellis into her fucking dream because she throws it off. And he's nowhere to be found. So she finally admits, like, fuck, I guess I I I am crazy. Yeah, I guess none of this this worked. Yep. But. And she's in the foreground sitting on the edge of her bed, and she's contemplating, like, what the hell is she going to do now? However. 
Freddy pops up from behind her bed, and, and the chase begins. So she throws, hits him in the head with a coffee pot, yeah. very, very much like when Joe LaDuke smashed the uh, ashtray on his head in his famous promo yeah, and, towards Jerry the King Lawler. Uh, Jerry the King Lawler. That was the second uh, blood oath. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, well, he failed, the, he failed to smash it the first time, so he did it again. Yes. But <laughs> she, closes the do- she takes that second to close the door, trap him in, and tie the sledgehammer uh, wire that she has booby-trapped around the door. Yeah. You know, locks it, goes to the hallway window, opens it up, and is, is screaming for her father. Yeah, and the officer who was in charge of watching the house is like, everything's going to be fine, everything's going to be okay. He's not listening. She's like, get my dad, you asshole. And that's when he's like, maybe I should get yeah. the lieutenant. After she's breaking windows trying to get his attention. He breaks the glass of the front door. Freddie finally breaks through her window, which had a, a, a latch a latch on it. Gets hit in the chest with a sledgehammer, and goes over the stairs and lands on a mattress, which is out of fr- out of frame. Yeah, like we mentioned before, if you're watching the open mat, like if you watch an open mat four by three version of this, he lands on a mattress, which is clearly visible at the bottom yeah. of the screen. And, and like it, it, it gets so ridiculous, all these booby traps. You could add the Benny Hill music to this. You could add. I want to add Looney Tune sound effects <laughs> and Benny Hill music. <laughs> <laughs> Yakety sax and some some pow blam. Yeah, right in the kaboom. He might pretty should just hold up a sign that says "Eek" when he when he accidentally trips the tripwire that blows up the shotgun yep. uh, light bulb next to him. So she she chases him in the living room. She dives over the couch, avoiding the tripwire. He hits the tripwire, blows up the fucking lamp. So I, I assume he's got like shotgun uh, pellets on his shoulders now. Well, that, no, she'll well. Yeah, probably, because she poured the whole thing out. I yeah. don't think she took the, the pellets. She just no, fucking, she, she just hollowed it out and poured And poured in. the gunpowder and everything. So right. she, she, she chases Freddy down the stairs, goes around the back of the stairs. Once she very slowly gets, like, behind him, yeah. he gets to the back of the furnace. He's looking around the corner, Trying knows he's being set up. Her. She has a fucking pitcher of, like, oil, like, lamp oil, kerosene. Accelerant. Kerosene, something like that. Yeah. Breaks it on him. He's screaming, no, no. She lights a whole book of matches, a whole like box of matches yeah. and Freddy's on fire. Now they even made like the stuntman's outfit, like the fireproof suit yeah. or whatever, like done up with like a Freddy Krueger mask. Like Freddy mm-hmm. all of a sudden got heftier, like you normally see, like well, when Michael know. Myers had mittens, right? Well, holding a scalpel awkwardly. But the, the the one cool thing about this is about him going up the stairs, falling down, and going back up. All this is done in one take. Yeah, with multiple cameras running at this point. Yep, and you see the stuntman just hop to the ground, like she knocks him back down the stairs. She's screaming for her father. Finally, he fucking comes running. Yeah. You know. along, along with the rest of the Keystone cops in tow, mm-hmm. who try and get the door open because they're deadlocked. It takes all four of them to kick the door in. I just can't believe, like, none of the neighbors that are there, like, standing around watching, like, the house outside talking to each other aren't, like, doing something. She's screaming, he's here, he's here. You so, would hope, like, some concerned citizens yeah. would help her out, but uh, sadly, they do not. So, you know, finally, they all go running. She says, I got him in the basement. The cops go running down the basement, but... Nancy starts noticing there's fiery footprints making a trail around, through the living room all the way up the stairs. stairs. And that's when she realizes, Mother, and, and she opens the door. It's not Danzig singing Mother. Tell it, your children not to walk his way. No, it's an ECW match with a man on fire being clocked with a chair by Nancy. It's as- more XPW or CCW, <laughs> but yeah, he's on top of her mother while still on fire. Trying and, to kill her. And the lieutenant throws the fucking blanket over, but when he pulls it off... Her fucking like ghastly charred skeletal body gets sucked down into the into the smoke machine abyss of the bed, which then reforms. And she's gone, and Freddy's gone, and it's like, what the hell is going on this here? This is where I I'm conflicted about the ending right now because we are at the end of the movie here. Yeah. So, you know, they kick out all the other cops that are there. 
and, you know, she, like, tells her father I'm okay, asks him to leave or whatever, and he just leaves. But it's like, why the fuck would you just leave after what you just saw? No, I, I wouldn't want – I wouldn't leave my child alone with anybody at that point because I'm like, I don't know what the hell's going to happen. You might disappear next. Yeah, she, and she's just looking at the bed, you know, bug eyes. The door just slams on its own, and she knows, oh, shit, he's here. Because I think this is still a dream. Yes. It's a dream within a dream. It's a Inception. dream within a dream. So, Inception noise. But now Freddy starts coming up from the bed, just like the wall effect from before. We yeah. have a large, like, expandable, like, spandex or whatever. Yeah. He comes up from the bed. She starts talking to him with her back turned, based on what Glenn said. You turn your back on it, take it away its energy. He cuts himself free. And he is burnt to a crisp even more now. Yeah. But he's like, no, and now it's your turn to die. And he's weak at this point, but he's like, if I could just kill her, I'll be fine. But she says it's too late. You know, this, she knows the secret. It's just a dream. Yeah. And, and, and this dialogue is kind of wonky. I know the secret. It's like... That none of this was real. secret? <laughs> no, this was real, but then why were you fighting and setting booby traps if none of this was real? You know, it's Because I, I think it was just their conscious trying to take over the dream itself here to recognize that it's all a dream here. Yep, she did. Because, like, how is the ending supposed to be? It wasn't supposed to be a franchise. Yes. She says that she wants her mother and friends back. She takes back any, every bit of energy she ever gave him. Mm -hmm. Which I remember the first time I watched this, I'm like, wait a minute, Freddie was stealing energy? It's like, the way that line was presented, it was as if, like, it was something... Tangible. Tangible. Right. Set up before. Like, 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 oh, I get my power from the energy of my... Like, no, it's like... I, I felt that like when Glenn said the phrase "feed off your energy," he wasn't meaning it literally. Like, he, like he was, but it wasn't like. Yeah, you this, know, this wasn't like the monster in Howard the Duck who literally takes energy from electricity around him, right? Yeah. Thing. No, it's a metaphysical energy. But she, since she's putting, she's being conscious about that. She's claiming it back from. Him, I think that's why he's able to. Freddie is real because you believe he's real. Yeah. When you stop believing he's real. That's one way you can kill him. Yeah. As we have seen throughout these movies, there are many ways you can kill Freddy. Right. And he always seems to come back. Mm -hmm. So finally, she goes to leave. Freddy lunges at her, and he dematerializes into nothing. Yeah, like he's literally like the, the, the star, starship Enterprise just yes. uh, beamed him away. She exits the bedroom door, and it transitions to her going outside first thing in the morning. She's all dressed up for school, a completely different outfit. Her mother comes out, who was, clearly wasn't sucked in the bed. Yeah. And everything seems to be hunky-dory here, despite the fact that it's like fog is still rolling in like it's a Hammer Horror movie. Uh, like, she, she, Nancy is questioning everything, but at the same time, she kind of knows that, like, oh, I won. Yeah. She kind of understands. Like, she's questioning. She's now questioning whether this is real, but slowly accepting, like, it is because I, I did it. I beat him. Yeah. And even, like, her mother says, like, I think I'm just going to stop drinking. I'm just, I just don't feel it anymore. Yeah. So she goes off to school and... Everyone pulls up. The old friends, Glenn, the, All the crew, the line, Glenn, Rod, Glenn's Tina. Cadillac, which we did see before. Yep, in the beginning. And surprisingly, the, the roof pops up on its own. They think it's a big chuckle. Yeah. But the roof, as we see... Is in the pattern of... Is in the pattern of green and red stripes. Okay, so this all is... Of, well, all of a sudden, it starts latching. The mm. windows start rolling up. Nancy's freaking out. Mother, mother. And her mother's just waving goodbye nicely. They're all screaming and freaking out. The car pulls away on its own. The car pulls away on its own. Her mother just sees them off very nicely. Everything's fine. Everything's hunky-dory. They pass by, but then on the lawn, there's the little girls jumping rope, chanting, one, two, Freddy's coming for you, and boom, Freddy reaches through the door and pulls the mother through, who turned into a mannequin at the last moment. Yes. <laughs> 
Okay, so end credits. This is like three endings combined into one because they shot multiple endings to this movie because Wes Craven just wanted him to get in the car and drive away fine. Everything would be okay. Bob Shea wanted the car to become animated and leave. And somebody else wanted the um, the, the mother being pulled in through the door. It might have been Bob Shea as well. So it literally is three endings cut together to make this kind of ending because... I guess Bob Shea saw the saw the potential of a, a twist ending. Yeah, and it just happened to lead into a end up being a franchise yeah. because this movie was very financially successful. Wes Craven wanted a dream within a dream. He wanted a dream within a dream within a dream. So they filmed, you know, the happy ending and the twist ending, but the twist ending was the one that was used. Right. And what was the box office on this? Um, because I know it was only made for a few million dollars. I don't know how much. I think it was like maybe thirty million, twenty-five million, something like that. That's what the box office was. budget of one point eight million. Oh, box wow. office of uh, twenty-five point five in the U.S. That uh, U.S. alone. I mean, so you gotta imagine maybe same or a little bit less outside the United States at the time. Then you got the home the home video release. So. Making nearly 25 uh, uh, times of your budget back, yeah, you want to make a sequel, and it did, but that's when and the relationship... never stopped. <laughs> yeah, and that's why the kind of relationship sour between Wes Craven and Bob Shea, because they, they've, they've been hot and cold throughout the years. Yeah. So that's Nightmare on Elm Street. That is Nightmare on Elm Street. So now that we're 35 years removed from the original movie, how do you feel about it? I still fucking love it. I mean, I, I'll say the same thing I say about every fucking old movie when it comes to recommendations. If you can get past the absence of modern technology, you'll be fine. But fortunately, those things don't even really, they're not any type of necessity to the plot whatsoever. Other than, like, the watch? The watch. I think that's it. It's the only piece of technology you really see. The watch and the fucking landline phone. Yeah. Hey, remember that? Most I guess some kids, they won't know. You could literally do a shot-for-shot remake of this, maybe replace the landline phone with a cell phone, and you'd be fine. Yeah. Like, Nancy, when she throws it down, Nancy breaks her fucking cell phone. Right. Oh, shit, how, what if Glenn tries to call me? And then it, it rings, mm-hmm. functioning, even though it's clearly broken. Yeah. You know? The, the watch could be a fucking iWatch or whatever. Yeah. And it is just kind of curious here, like... How do you measure up to the other movies in the franchise? Those I almost feel like you have to grade on a curve sometimes. Yes. Because they're fucking night and day. And the thing is, like, it almost, when I watch some of these sequels, I think to myself, it's like, when I watch, like, uh, Dream Warriors, I think, why doesn't Nancy just teach them to do, like, she did, just not believe in them? Mm-hmm. Why doesn't anyone else forget that? Why is there always a new way that you have to beat Freddy, you know? Yeah. Why, why, why did Patricia Arquette so all of a sudden become Tuesday night? Well, <laughs> those questions. Well, because I, I, I guess Patricia Arquette's career was already starting to blossom in between the one year that movie. I, came I've out. heard a million different things. I think there's no. I heard she was never asked to come back, or they want someone cheaper or whatever. I yeah. don't fucking know. She was pregnant with her son at the time. But yeah, she wasn't. It, it, it is. Uh, no one can answer. That. Nobody can answer that one. But I, I. I don't fucking know. I mean, I feel like this. I feel like with that weird twist ending, it kind of takes away its ability to stand on its own as a simple movie, mm-hmm. as as a as a as a self-contained story. Do you feel the same way about the the first Back to the Future? Is how that movie ends? Oh yeah, because it's it says it doesn't say at the ending to be continued. No, no, 
No. They just take it, off. In part two, it says to be concluded, yes. and it goes into the trailer for part three. But the ending of part one, it's like, we got to go check on your kids or whatever yeah. in the future. So it's like, oh, my God, they're already on to another story. This will continue. Right. I, I You could – even if you never made a sequel, you kind of – I kind of think of it as like Batman Begins where you know a story could continue, but you don't need one. Well, you could say the same thing about Halloween, but – at the same time, too, it's like we know Michael Myers isn't some dream monster. He's the real boogeyman, mm-hmm. and he's still out there. Right. You know? And now, how do you think of of Freddy Krueger in the echelon of monsters in horror movies? I think he's more mainstream than most of them. I'd say only only matched by Jason, because every time I hear people talk about scary people, just arbitrarily, it's always Freddy or Jason. Yeah. Thing. That even kids to this day still dress up yeah. as him. I, but I think Freddy is more approachable because he's got that personality that developed over the movies of mm-hmm. being a fucking goofball, you know, and blurring mm-hmm. the lines of your horror comedy. Yeah. So, I mean, with that, he's a fucking cultural icon no matter what. Yeah. You know, no matter what, Freddy Krueger is a cultural icon. Nightmare on Elm Street is a classic. <laughs> I'm just People think- still pack houses to fucking see retro revivals of it. We can attest to that because we've been, we've been ticket buyers to those two yeah. times. Yeah, because we've seen one, three, and four. One, three, and four. In theater in uh, and new nightmare. And new nightmare. We've seen the real thirty-five millimeter prints of those. Right. Um, in retro screenings. <laughs> I just think of a wedding singer when um, his friends. Uh, oh yeah. Dresses up as Freddy Krueger. I made this for you, Uncle Robbie. Thanks, Freddy. Go back to the boiler room. Yeah, as he he's vandalized the uh, photo with uh, Adam Sandler and his girlfriend, his fiance <laughs> at the time. His fiance, you left him at the altar. Yes. There's a little information I could have used yesterday. <laughs> and and so, yeah, I think it is a landmark in the slasher genre. And it's just a testament to Wes Craven as a filmmaker that he was not satisfied with the status quo. That he was always willing to push the balance of storytelling. Mm-hmm. Well, look um, at everything he did before then. Like, you know, Hills Have Eyes, Last House on the Left. Much of that really went into, like, the shocking... Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to. I look at that sometimes. Those movies sometimes. I think to myself, like, Wes Cra- if things were differently, Wes Craven could have been one of those like B movie directors that like just went to like all those despicable lengths to show shock, well, like like rape and oh, like like kind of like a like a trauma director or something like that. I or guess, like- or just like shit you see on like Best of the Worst or whatever, like the stuff that really makes everybody cringe. Yeah, um, yeah, because we watched it. Could have happened to Wes Craven. This, this, I feel, even with the the blood. I feel this was a lot smarter, like you said, with the, with the characters and everything, with them, these characters proactively thinking, with all these setups and payoffs. Yeah, and they were not, they were not, just, it was not just going from set piece to set piece of just yes. scares. And like, no, like it, it is telling a story. It is a scary story. Yeah, and it's very elemental because how, how the daughter grows to be stronger than her own parents. Right, and, and like it's one of those, like it's it's a thing that every human can understand. Facing how, your fears, facing your fears, and how can you resist sleep? Everybody mm-hmm. has to. Yep. Even when you can't. Even when you can't. And eventually, I fall. There was the one time I think I've told you this. I, I there's been times when I've had such bad insomnia and had to get up in the morning. I would get angry and start punching myself in the head, trying to fall asleep. I've never told you this. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. I have. There was the one. I have a baseball bat in the corner of my room just in case of burglary. Yeah. There was one time I got so fucking mad I couldn't sleep. I, it was like three in the morning and I went to bed at like nine. I picked up that bat and I hit myself in the head as hard as I could. You did? Yes. I thought you talked about that you were going... No, like, I you... did once. Did you knock yourself out? No. <laughs> I was still awake. <gasps> I couldn't really move all too well, but I was still pretty wide awake. 
Did you feel like a horse's ass after I, doing well, it? I, no, because well, I wasn't tossing and turning anymore because I was pretty much paralyzed. <laughs> but I was still wide awake. Like, did, so, so did you like give yourself a concussion? I might have. Oh boy, it's a wooden bat too. Don't yeah, worry. Yeah, you you took a Louis, Louisville slugger to your head. Yeah. Jeez, and Louise. it didn't work. Oh my! I mean, yeah. I did fall asleep eventually, but <laughs> I just laid there for a while. <laughs> just imagine, like, you didn't wake up with like a like a cartoonish welt on the side of your head, dude. I, I what was it? I I always make tea whenever we do this. I have like my sleepy time tea. Uh-huh. I take that with Zquil and melatonin, and I still can't fall the fuck asleep. Jesus! And I wear a fucking CPAP machine, and I also wear a fucking sleep mask. I look like I look like something out of the fucking institution in Freddy vs. Jason. <laughs> oh my when god! I sleep, and I still cannot fucking sleep. And I'm the person who could fall asleep anywhere. I, I mean, I've unfortunately fallen asleep driving home a few times. It, it, it is very scary. So it, we are just we're the yin to our yang right now. You could crash here if you ever need to. Of course, not literally. Y- when we yes. talk about sleeping behind the wheel, but if you ever feel sleepy, <laughs> I just pull a Pulp Fiction and end up just barreling into the side of your house. Yeah. No, please don't. <laughs> yes. It's like, I got Marcellus Wallace's wife with me. Um, yeah, with me, I think 35 years later, this movie still holds up. And yeah. I, think, I think it's... Highest highest recommendation. Definitely. And I think... If A you little can, wonkiness. Oh, sorry. No, 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 no. No, no I, I think if there's... Is this the movie that defines Wes Craven's career? I'm going to say yes. I think so, too. As popular as Scream was, there would be no Scream without Freddy. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because Wes Craven wouldn't have... Made it to scream if he didn't make Nightmare on Elm Street. And right. Everyone knows Freddy. They don't all know Ghostface. Mm-hmm. And with his success, he was able to make movies like Serpent and the Rainbow, which I think is highly underrated. And it was People Under the Stairs, which I have not seen, which I know they kind I of- I saw t- that a very long time ago. And that turns some heads when I say, like, you've never seen People Under the Stairs, which I, I hope to rectify this uh, October. But it, it is groundbreaking in that regard, and I think it is- it's, it's, it stood out amongst its its peers. And yeah, its I mean, like, like there's one slash movie I think in the slash documentary going. To, I think it's going to pieces where they had a killer literally with a stopwatch, timing how long it is like in between each kill. Like it became so derivative at that point because of all the ripoffs of Halloween. But this is where it is a step beyond that kind of uh, thinking, and that's what I think is really remarkable at this movie. But what about home video? Where can people find the copies of this movie? Well, I mean, it's on, you know, your normal streaming services and whatnot every yes. now and again. Halloween. I think most of them are on Shutter right now. I believe so. It's been a while since I've looked at them. You know, it's funny. I, I, I went, I was looking at, um, I was looking at through, like, what was that? I don't know. Remember what the hell. I was looking for Blair Witch Project. Uh Review coming soon. Yeah, from from, uh, from us. Goes from us. I was looking for that, and it's. I looked on Hulu. Requires stars add on. Fuck. Looked on Amazon Prime. Requires stars add on. Fuck. So it's like, when it comes to streaming, folks, I don't know where the fuck to find anything anymore. You need like seven. It, it, streaming has now has officially become as bad as cable was. Oh yeah, it, it eventually you, it's going to become bundling streaming services, and it's going to become cable through your internet. That's how it's going to be. Yeah, you could be paying exactly the same overpriced. This and they keep bringing it up. So it's, it, it's the only sorry. It's the only like really part bad parts is like the people going to be buying the, the the movies and TV are also be providing the internet. That's the one thing I find very scary going forward. Mm-hmm. Well, that's why I, that, that's why I still buy physical, and that's why I kind of feel physical may make a comeback because people get sick of fucking buying yeah all these add-ons for a movie they like. It's like okay, I could buy these things, these movies I like for cheaper than 
some of these subscriptions. But however, the price of physical will go up. The only problem is that you can't get around people's laziness. Yeah, because people don't want to get. They will choose convenience over practicality. But I mean, it's been released on home on VHS, Laserdisc. It's it was first released on DVD in '99. Do you have a Laserdisc copy of this? I do not. Okay, I thought you did. All right, never mind. But. It got a restored uh, Infinite Film Special Edition in 2006 with various special features, all kinds of commentaries and shit. Uh, two DVDs. One had the picture of sound restored with DTS 5.1 Dolby Digital and the original mono. Another with the special features. That's if you really like it. That one's really – that's been like the prime DVD version. Yeah. I'm sure it's been released in, like, Steelbooks and everything else or whatnot. There's a great commentary track, I think, by the cast, and there's one group by Wes Craven himself that's very informative that I highly recommend. Yes. And it also as it also has extended or alternate scenes of the film. And according to what I'm reading here, I was correct. There's a scene filmed where Marge reveals that Nancy had another sibling that was killed by Freddy. Oh, shit. Wow. Okay, so there then. you go. The, you know, uh... But yeah, that uh, it was given its first Blu-ray release on in 2010, and that's pretty much been. It's got the same extras as that 2006 special edition. Mm-hmm. Um, it's pretty much if you want just the film itself, that's been like the definitive Blu-ray version. And I know in box sets going on, I have the seven movie Nightmare on Elm Street collection. It's the only one where the one movie is on the one disc. Every other movie, they put two films on one disc. Okay. So it's got its own, and it is that version. So that version, the 2010 Blu-ray release, has pretty much been the de facto definitive Blu-ray release that's been on individual and box set releases. However, it only has the DTS... um... I believe it only has one surround sound because it only has option for, for... English or English mono. Right. And so it doesn't have like a 5.1 like mix in that one. No, it does. Oh, okay, okay. But it's one of the it's only one of the two surround sounds, DTS or Dolby. So okay. Pick your poison. Gotcha. Some people may not care, some people might. I lean towards DTS when it's got it. Right. It's usually you quality's a little better, but some if don't you get, have both. If you're upgrading like your senses, would you do Dolby Atmos or would you stick with DTS? Oh no, well Dolby Atmos is big. DTS, is, I believe, has one that's just like Dolby Atmos. They've got their own thing. DTS okay. is just their competitor. Okay. But if they if they do come out with one with a Dolby Atmos mix, I don't know how they'd pull it off with a with you know stuff that originates from a fucking mono track. Mm-hmm. So it's we'll just like, it pretty much is like splitting that track over. But if yeah, if you just if you just well, that's the thing though. All your multi tracks are condensed into a mono track. They're all put together, outputted into one mono track. You right. have all different tracks for. All your stuff, your ADR, your fucking room tone, your camera audio, whatever, but it's all combines into one track. Yeah. You can't pan it throughout a stereo spectrum or anything. Mm-hmm. But if you want to just own the first time on the street, you do have that option, the 2010 release. I recommend that. If you want the whole kit and caboodle, which, why wouldn't you? Yeah. It's cheap enough. I like the seven disc, the seven, you know, movie. 84 to 94 collection. Yeah. That's it. Nice. All it right. may not have gotten the highest ratings on Blu-ray.com, that seven-movie collection, but so far I, I I dig it. Yeah, because serviceable. Sh- sure, like it doesn't. Have, it's not like it's not like Blade Runner when it comes to visual quality or anything. Because a none of those movies were photographed that well. Well, that box set it gets more shit just because of the, the other movies have a little bit of a bare bonesness to them. Right, there's not a lot. Of, I mean, if you want special features, you buy that seven-disc collection, then you buy Never Sleep Again. Mm-hmm. That's all the special features you're really gonna want on that. Yeah. And so that's I think that would be my perfect combo is like 
Getting the Southern Film Collection and the Never Sleep Again documentary. Because there's a lot of times I don't know what to like fall asleep to it, and I'll put on the Crystal Lake Memories one because I'm like, I'll just choose a movie and I'll, I'll end up falling asleep to it because it's that informative and, and I, I have some a timer on my Blu-ray player. But yeah, so that's our review of A Nightmare on Elm Street. Yes. Yes. And I know you don't have any social media to, uh, to plug, so I won't nope. ask you for that. Uh, Get the double feature, two disc, four-disc Blu-ray set of Never Sleep Again and Crystal Lake Memories. 30 bucks on Amazon. They're together as a pack? Together as a pack. I may have to do that's, that because I, I, I only have Crystal Lake Memories on DVD, so I may have to get that. That's what y'all folks should be buying. Y'all ready for this? Y'all ready And the Nightmare on Elm Street collection right now is uh, on Amazon for 25 bucks. Can't go wrong with that. Now, if you want to follow me on social media, follow me on Twitter at Timothy Rooney 2 Follow my YouTube channel, Through Lens Productions, where my latest short film, The Standoff, is up. And subscribe to that, as well as subscribe to this show. And leave us a five-star written review on iTunes. It really helps get the word out there. Uh, keep listening, because we Smash have... Smash that like button. <laughs> There's more horror movies and Halloween-related podcasts coming from this show throughout the month of October. So, Mike, thank you for taking so much of your night to talk about Nightmare on Elm Street with me. Yay. See you all next time. With something else. You never know what we're going to pull out of our sleeve because anything, anything goes. goes. Come back next time as we continue to talk about geek and pop culture, and we'll speak to you soon.